Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is, what's today? Today's Tuesday, February 20th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour, 855-950-3835. If you want to jump in and join us, do it right now. Um, Let's hear from Pete and Leroy, and then we'll, uh, oh, no, Leroy may not be there. Looks like it's Pete and I today. Pete, are we the only ones working today? We are, Kevin. I don't know what everyone else is doing, but I'm always here. You can always count on me, Kevin. You, you are, and I, I am grateful for that. So thank you for showing up this morning. Not a problem. Leroy will be joining us. He is actually tuning a Volvo right now on the dyno. Ah, okay. Maybe he'll have something to tell us. Yep, trying to finish that one up, and Bruce is at the chiropractor getting ready for the snowmobile conference, so he'll be joining us in about half an hour as well. So Bruce is getting a tune-up, too. He's getting a tune-up, too. Yep. All right. Ready for snowmobiling with all the young guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to show him a few things. Yeah, I'm sure he can. I, I skied with him four or five years ago when I was skiing a fair amount, and I couldn't keep up with him. Yeah. And so he would have been 70 at the time. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Been, 55 and you know i was good for the first you know 500 yards with him and then after that (laughs) yeah so he's really it's just such a so you know skiing there's good skiers and there's bad skiers and fast fast skiers but he is so smooth It, it doesn't look like he's going that fast but you couldn't keep up with him wow just very smooth uh effortlessly yeah. You know, it wasn't like he was trying. You see some people going down the hill and, and they're working at it, where he doesn't. It, it is just so, just really, uh, and it, you need to ski with someone like him to get better. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Time, yeah, you know, skiing and following him, taking his path. And I know when I was skiing years ago and I started skiing when I was 18, one of the guys I skied with was like Bruce. He, he was effortless. I mean, he looked just so smooth. And what helped me ski was, just following him. Yeah. And, you know, when he'd make a turn, I made a turn. And I was fortunate that at Seven Springs, me and my buddies had cabins up there for like three years in a row. So we'd get there in the morning. There's no one there. We have the, you know, mountain ourselves and just up and down the hill. And nice. like I, said, I would follow him. And, you know, it, it's something to watch a good skier. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, if you think about it, Bruce, um, we're talking about snow skiing right now. Bruce was also a competition water skier, slalom. Hey, he has spent a lot of time on top of some sort of ski in his life. Yeah. So the one year, a couple of years back, I think he had some surgery on something. I don't know if it was his shoulder, but he didn't ski. And he said that was the first time he didn't ski since 1964. Wow. Yeah. I was born in 64. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. uh, What's on your mind this week? So uh, the shop's getting busier, which is a good thing, but we do have next week's pretty open, and the rest of this week, small jobs. I can get in, you know, dyno, tune, maybe an overhead. We can get people in. So if you're in the area, definitely give us a call. We'll, we'll squeeze you in. Um, the Volvo that we're, we're tuning now, yesterday we put an OPS on, and we've done them before, but I've sold OPSs for people to put on D13s. I don't know how many we've installed in a shop, but it's nice when we get to install one, we can take some pictures. That way when a customer calls up and says, hey, I'm installing this, where do I need to 
you know, get my oil feed or my oil drain. Yeah. It's nice when we have some pictures from a, you know, engine on a current truck. Yeah, good. So good. it was nice that we're getting a little more into some of the, the Volvo applications where we can OBS yeah, and tune. Absolutely. What else? So um, you and I spoke about the hydrogen last week, last two weeks probably, but I read another another article. It looks like Shell's closing all their hydrogen places down, not just the ones in California. I read something about that. How, how does that make any sense if, if hydrogen is, is going to be a thing that we're already shutting down networks? Yeah, what a mess. And so Cummins, the X15 platform, they, I forget what they call it now. Uh, there's a name for it, but it's going to be the, the base engine's the same. The difference will be the cylinder head and fuel system where you can run, order the engine to run on diesel, natural gas, or hydrogen. And they've invested a lot of money in this hydrogen side. And I see, you know, Europe's still really pushing it, the hydrogen. Yeah. But it's just not flying in this country. And we're just sending it back even further. And you know, the first thing I think about with Cummins is since the ISX came about, what a shift from the N14 being N14 may be one of the most simple diesel engines I can remember. And the ISX to me is one of the more complicated. And now to complicate it further like this, to me, is just a huge mistake. This will be a compromise on every one of those fuels. Without making a separate, complete separate engine, you mean? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, there, there will be compromises because you have to do one thing this way for this kind of fuel, but you got to do something else like this. So it's not going to be the best for any of those fuels. It's going to be a compromise, and it's already a complicated engine. You know, one of the things that shocked me, and I, I never got a good explanation why, but this was a Cummins, what's the name of that company? Roush, I think, that does all the natural gas conversions. I'm not sure. I think that's who it was. And they were working pretty closely with Cummins. And this goes back to, I think it was like 2014 or 2015, the year everybody was just talking about natural gas. And I remember reading a report a couple of years later without a lot of explanation, but they said when they switched in one of these engines to running on natural gas instead of diesel, the maintenance cost doubled. But there was no explanation as to why. Yeah, I haven't heard that, but I, I just know very little people running anything. I know uh, a few years back there was a push with school buses running natural gas. And one way you could tell that a school bus was on natural gas was, you know, it's the yellow bus with the black stripe down the side. It was green. Oh, okay. So a yellow bus with that green strip down the side it was natural gas and there was not far from our shop was a small bus company that they had a gas well on their plant or on their property and i saw them set up for it and then they had all these green striped buses they don't have them anymore yeah, yeah. and that was i don't know how many years ago i mean within the last 10 years um maybe not quite that long but that didn't seem to stay in favor very long well, it seems to me like we could go back 20 or 25 years and there was a big shift with like municipal government owned buses, those kind of things that they were all shifting to natural gas. That seems to either have slowed down or stopped or reversed. I hardly ever see that anymore. Right. 
Right. And, and um, Route 8, so we're off of Route 8. If you head south on 8, there's a Bluebird bus company. Bluebird's a big bus company. Yeah. And they were pushing the, the natural gas buses <clears throat> as well. There's, you know, signage up, and, of course, the buses were uh, sideways, so you could see them with the green striped on them. And, again, that was a year or two, and that ended pretty quickly. It, it just It's going to be just too hard to beat diesel. That's the one of the big issues we're facing is everybody in business still has to focus on cost and diesel is the most energy dense. It's the, the cheapest fuel we can run for the amount of energy you get out of it. We've, we've run it for a long time. We know what most of the issues are and all of these other fuels or sources of energy are a compromise. They're not going to be as good as diesel, and they're going to be more expensive. And who wants to make that shift? Nobody. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And, you know, in an, an, an environment and an economy like we're in now, you can just about forget it. Nobody's taking that risk now with, with costs the way they are and rates down. Now, I, I could see where in a school bus industry where the electric bus would be a big benefit. You're home every night to plug in. Most routes in morning and now around here, I'm not sure in the cities or other states, but in my area, Western PA, I don't think many of them are longer than 60 miles in the morning, 60 miles in the evening. Occasionally you're taking a the football team, baseball team someplace for a, a game. Uh, but again, they drive to the game, they sit, they drive back, they can plug in. Where I think a benefit for a electric bus would be, you now have 12 or 14 buses sitting, waiting to pick students up. So when I went to high school, the, the buses ran, and they were just plain old diesel engines. So the whole school area smelled like diesel. Right. Where they can now have the electric bus with the heaters on, in the wintertime, kids getting in the buses warm without any smell. And, of course, the environmental, you're not polluting, sitting there idling, you're not right. messing the kids' lungs up. That would kind of make sense to go that direction, not just on cost or the environment itself. It's like this one area where there's a school, and it's, well, where I grew up in Leechburg, where the school bus is, is a dip. So everyone's, all the buses are in this dip. Where's that diesel fuel going? It's just thinking up the whole place. Right. Where I think electric buses, you know, I, I just think they went about this whole electric thing the wrong way. Trying to go after the Class A truck, I think, was just a mistake. Still hardly out there. You know, yeah. how, how? what percentage is electric trucks? Oh. I mean, is it even a percent at this point? No, not even close oh, to not. 1%. We're, we're not even close. And... To me, that's one of the most cost-sensitive operations. The, these school systems, municipalities, they can just go tax people. You know, they'll just raise mm -hmm. some new tax to cover this cost. The business can't do that. Business is not going to shift until that it makes financial sense to shift. And the problem is they're using our money to try to make that happen. I mean, I saw in California now, trailers are getting like a hundred and some thousand dollar credit if they're electrified. Wow. Yeah, it's just insane. And a, a truck can get like $300,000 worth of tax credits in California, an electric truck. That's crazy. It is. It's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one other, th oh, um, Joel just sent me, Westport is the one that was doing the Cummins Natural Gas. I don't know why I was thinking Roush. What were they doing? 
Roush does it for pickups, the high-end for pickups. Maybe that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, Westport, that does sound much more familiar now. Yeah. But I I never heard, you know, in my mind, honestly, uh, if somebody would have asked me to predict when you switch an engine from diesel to natural gas, would maintenance costs go up? My thought would be no. Actually, I would have thought it's a lighter, cleaner fuel. If anything, we might see fewer maintenance issues, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I don't know where the expense would be. So I know on you know, the old big cam days, a lot of farmers that ran pumps for irrigation, they were natural gas engines because they had natural gas on site. That makes so sense. So never going up. And they would virtually run 24-7. Yeah. And, and we're talking 80s technology. Right. And they were doing that. So I'm not sure where the problem is nowadays that it, it's more expensive or more maintenance on them. You know, and here's the other thing. If we go back and talk about the buses, I agree with you. When we've got these controlled environments where you can look at your range, how much range do I need? What's the worst case scenario? And, you know, some morning when it's minus 40, are we still going to have enough range on these? And if we do, this seems like a good use of this. Why are they so expensive? You know, again, if I were to look at these electric vehicles, they're much simpler. There's hardly nowhere near the number of moving parts. We don't need all the support systems the way we do on an internal combustion engine, or or we need smaller, simpler versions of all those things. I I don't understand why these vehicles are still so expensive. I guess it's probably mostly just the batteries that are doing that. Uh Uh-oh, Pete, did I lose you? Uh-oh. Pete. I'm here. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. So Leroy just came in, and he fouled something up already. Oh, boy. Oh, we're on the wrong headsets. That's why. That was... Okay, that was Jordan. He gave me the wrong headset. Ah. So it really wasn't his fault. I'm going to yeah. blame him anyhow. That's right. I can take blame for it. That's right. Throw him he's under the truck. Here. And he's awake. Well, that's good. So hopefully he has good news for us with the Volvo tune. So he's gearing up here right now so we can... See where he's at on that. Yeah, how dare you blame me for getting the wrong head? <laughs> I just walked in. Yeah, that's the problem. You were supposed to be here on time this morning. Uh, you would have been able to blame someone else, or it wouldn't have happened if you were here on time. We'll just blame Jordan. Yeah, yeah. We blame Jordan for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Hey, um, Joel did have a thought on the maintenance cost when you switch over to natural gas. The uh, uh, less lubricity. That would make sense. Right. Yeah. There wouldn't be any lubricity in natural gas. Yeah. Very little. We, we just don't seem to be able to get uh, to get these alternative fuels to take off, and I don't think we will. <clears throat> Diesel still has too many advantages, and the big one for a long time, I think, is just going to be cost. And people aren't buying the cars. No, that's for not, sure. Not around here, anyhow. Not around. I don't know elsewhere, but in my area, they're just they're they're, they're sitting on a lot. So a lot of times they will show vehicles that are on the lots for 40 days, 60 days, 80 days, and all the electric vehicles are on the lot the longest. They're given heavy discounts on them, and people just don't want them. No, they don't seem to. I I see, I I mentioned this the other day. I was shocked. I was on the interstate here near my house the other day, and within just a couple miles, I got passed by three completely different electric vehicles. Stuff, you know, you hadn't seen before. I used to see in the Teslas, and I was seeing the Rivians for a while. And <clears throat> now, though, I'm seeing the 
the Hyundais and the BMWs and so, but it's Oregon, so you would kind of expect we might see more of it around here. Yeah, the only thing I really see is Teslas around here. Yeah, I've been noticing a lot of the other makes, their electric vehicles lately around here. I'll keep an eye out for that and see what I'm seeing. But again, a little bit of a different market in this area, western Pennsylvania compared to some of the other states. Yeah, definitely. Uh, All right, um, Leroy, you got a report for us? A report about what? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe why you were late this morning? Yeah, the Volvo tune. Yeah, it's a... 2020 Volvo D13, 500, 1850. I uh, was mostly looking for fuel mileage out of the tune um, and a little bit of power. So we bumped them up to 600 and like 2050. So about 100 horsepower and 200 foot pounds of torque. Uh, as far as fuel mileage goes, that's always a tough one. It appears to be better on the dyno, but I mean, that's only a few data points. We can't check everything. I mean, we could, but it would take a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not just like a couple pulls or running it at this RPM and this load. So um, it seems to be going in a good trend, uh, but you know, that's one of those things he's going to have to get out in the road, go a couple weeks and then uh, get back to me and we'll see how it goes. But everything other than that went swimmingly. It was a bit of a weird software version and I had to spend a bunch more time figuring out how to tune it, but got we it. got it done. All right. It good. Better. So hey. I had a weird phone call today um, talking about ECMs, and it was a DD15 that the customer's running the catalyst. He had his DPFs cleaned. When they cleaned the DPFs, they updated the program, which is not uncommon for OEMs to do that. And then 15,000 miles, no problem. All of a sudden, he's, his regens, his, his passive regens, which were 20 minutes or now an hour, and they started looking into it, went back to the factory, and the ECM reverted back to an old tune. And it, it said 07 emissions, which the DD-15s weren't even out in 07. Right. Oh, wait. So they reprogrammed it, and it's back to normal. And the dealer said, occasionally we will see this, where, you know, they, they put a current program in it because it needs updated. And on its own, it reverts back to an old program which I don't know how they could do that. Yeah, I don't know how that would happen either. And if the A finds out, they're going to have a shit bit about that. You know, to me, the more likely explanation, we, we dealt with this for a long time. We had a designer who was an incredible designer, one of those really artistic people, really good at design. His organizational skills were less than ideal. And you can imagine when you're doing that kind of work, that you're constantly changing, updating, resaving files. And he was horrible at keeping all of these versions clear and separate. And I can't tell you how many times we were in some sort of an emergency because at the last minute, the wrong file got sent to the printer, the wrong file got printed. I, I, I would believe that this is more human error than anything. Well, it'd have to be is, you know, possibly something in a program they put in there from the factory that someone made a mistake on. Right. Right. And, and, and it's easy when you can copy files in a matter of seconds and save this version, then make a change and then save that version. If you're not organized, it's really easy to do. But if you're not organized, you end up with 32 v- versions of a file and you don't know what's what. Yeah, I'm surprised at 
even on people's computers, how many people have stuff on their desktop. Like I have files like for the truck show. If you would say, hey, Pete, how many booklets did you pass out in 2005 in Louisville? I can tell you exactly how many booklets <laughs> I sold. I can, and I just keep track so I know down the road. But it, right. it's organized. If I can't make a show, I can tell other guys, hey, go into my um, Pete.doc, look at the truck show. And you can go see what I took last year. And, and yeah. we kind of base off what we bring each year, depending on well, an example would be booklets. Uh, at one time in Louisville, we gave out over 3,000 of our catalogs. Last year, I don't think 300. Wow. And, and it's not that we're not busy. Right. No one's taking catalogs anymore. Everything's online. Yeah, good and, point. And it's just, nice to see that and I'll, I'll take okay we're bringing catalysts to sell how many did we sell oh we need to bring more this year because we sold out yeah you know first thing Saturday morning so let's take another 20 more uh, so I keep track of this stuff but I'm surprised how many what I think are relatively smart people that just aren't organized oh yeah things are completely random I I, <laughs> I well I've I have to admit I, I'm one of those people I've tried to fight it over the years. It just doesn't work for me. I, if I'm going to be organized, somebody else is going to have to do it. I, it's just it's just how things go. So I try to stay away from projects that need that kind of organization unless I have somebody else to do it. If anyone was to ever steal like my hard drive and try to like you know replicate and steal all my tunes or whatever, <laughs> they couldn't find any. Because I'll, I'll like name a folder like guy with white truck. And <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll look back through and I'm like, oh, it was that date. I remember that guy. Right. I, I can. My naming structure only works for me. Exactly. And right. Back there, if I get a file, he's like, I have no idea what this is. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that file does. Yeah. All right. Um, hey, before we get onto the calls, we should because they're starting to pile up on us. Did you guys see truckings in the mainstream media again? Time uh, I go into New York. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yes. so did, some guy decided not to go to New York to protest Trump being fined for doing business in New York or not allowed to do business in New York. I guess is what it is. But that kind of um, petered up pretty quickly. Well, so, yes and no. Here's the crazy thing about it. So, you know, if we look over the last decade, all of these protests, these we're going to drive to D.C. and circle the Capitol and we're going to shut down this road and we're going to shut down this city and, and nothing ever comes of this. I mean, they make a bunch of noise. They get somehow 30,000 people to join a Facebook group and then they only get 30 people that ever show up to any of these things. Um, this one somehow got traction all on its own. The guy who made the original video, um, was it was just a driver who got on, decided to make this video, and he said something like, me and 10 of my friends are going to refuse to go to New York City. The video goes viral. Trump sees the video and actually comments on it on Truth Social. So then it goes even more crazy. So now you have all these media outlets saying, oh my God, there's, there's a truck driver shortage already, which there isn't. That, that, that narrative's been going around for a couple decades and it's not really true. They're gonna shut down New York City. So then the guy comes, he deletes his original video. Then he posts another video and says, hey, I deleted it because it upset my son. And by the way, <clears throat> 
this was just chatter. I never meant anything by this. And he said, I certainly am not going to lead this. He said, I'm not going on podcasts and raising money. And so he was kind of trying to back away from it. Except now I see an hour later, he just posted another video. And now here's what he's claiming. Um, I'm just going to read this. It says, just got off the phone with the broker. We deal with loads out of Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana. The reefer load that was refused yesterday I told you about, the receiver paid him 30% more to get that load delivered to New York City, and it was off the board five minutes later. So now the guy's going on again after saying he didn't want to be the face of this thing and claiming that it's making such a big difference that they're already paying 30% more to get loads to New York. I I call bullshit. There's just no way. No, there's too many people willing to take loads for all they need to do is make their truck payment. And that's the problem. Especially in today's market, you might have had a slightly better chance two years ago when you couldn't get a truck anywhere. Now there's trucks all over. There's no way this is going to have any impact whatsoever. It's funny, though, that the people on social media, if you comment about this, people outside of trucking are the ones that are talking about this. Inside of trucking, everybody's going, hey, calm down, people. This gets talked about all the time. It never happens. Now, you, from the people outside of trucking, I've now been called ignorant. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Mm. That's come from people who aren't even in trucking. It's kind of That's hilarious crazy. how that happens. I, I wouldn't take a load to New York for anything. Yeah, Can well, imagine the night bringing a truck it, in through the city? If there's a couple things about this that most people don't realize, most truckload stuff is not going into the city. Most of the stuff that has to go into the city has already been on a truckload somewhere. It's been broken down, put on straight trucks. Not a whole lot of truckload stuff going on within the city itself. Uh, and then the other issue is, if if you had to pick one place where truck drivers say they don't want to go or won't go, it would be New York City. It's always been that way. So the fact that they think this can have some sort of an impact is kind of funny. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not going to change anything. Not a thing. Not a. Th- and, and look, let's let's be real. I, I wouldn't want it to. I, but when are we going to realize that we can't let? And I get it. Politics are important. The elections important. All that's happening. But um, I think, as an industry, it, it would be a horrible idea for us to try to use our power that way for some political reason. Yep, I agree. Because think about what you're doing. You're not hurting the politicians. You're not hurting the the people who are going after Trump. They won't even notice this. Who are you hurting? You're hurting all the people who live and work in New York City that don't need one more hassle like this. If you manage to actually do something and and cause some sort of an effect, which isn't going to happen. But if it did, that would almost be worse. Yeah, and, you know, most people not having cars in New York City, you know, I can jump in a car and drive to another town to pick something up if my right. local store doesn't have it. Yeah. Those people can't. No, it, it could get. If they were successful at this, I think they would find that um, they would regret it. I think the outcome, if they were ever successful at something like this, would be horrendous. And and most of these people have small places like my pantry i mean i literally could go a couple weeks out going to the store with the exception of 
you know, bread, milk, fruit, vegetables, you know, yeah. things like that. But, you know, these places, you know, they have little yeah, yeah. 400 square foot apartments. What are they going to store there? Well, most of the people that live in the city eat out a lot. Yeah, anyhow. Yeah. Right. But the restaurants they have food, though. Yeah. Then if no one's bringing it in. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of crazy. I just thought it was uh, kind of ironic how many times they've tried to get attention for things like this, and they, they've never been able to. And all of a sudden, some guy makes a goofy video, and, and the thing goes viral, and now he, he's got to say he doesn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, it's crazy how things turn out. All right. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started in North Carolina. Ilya, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, actually, now that you guys talked about that, uh, I, I don't know if you saw that uh, protest or convoy that was going to the border a couple weeks ago, uh, like on uh, on social media or whatever. That one was the same thing. I passed them in Texas, and there were so few trucks there that I couldn't even tell which trucks were involved, but there was a whole ton of like regular cars there that were definitely well, part of it. Well, and that was another case where the mainstream media is so uninformed that the, the claim was made that there was like 700,000 trucks participating in that one. And then somebody finally did the math and said, hey, wait a minute, that convoy would stretch from where they're going on the border all the way to New York City. Does anybody yeah, think that like is no going to there. happen? Come on. Like no one on the CB knew anything about it. And I was, I was in like, stop and go traffic and construction going the other way and i was like actively looking for them i really couldn't tell which trucks were even part of it yeah that 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 one fell apart this one i don't think ever really happened except the mainstream media is still talking about like it is happening yeah i don't know but um i just wanted to double check the oil weight you guys recommend is 10w30 right correct yep okay all right that's all i had i'm i'm finally on the way to get some maintenance done on this uh volvo and actually one of the things they're doing is they're putting the ops on there too so oh, good and and he said he's put a bunch of them on there he just doesn't sell them okay so, good but yeah okay thank you all right you're welcome let's go to south carolina nick welcome hey how you doing kevin good what's on your mind today you sound so much better than you did yesterday. I feel about half as, well, halfway better, I guess. I'm certainly not feeling like I'm okay. completely recovered, but I, I do feel much better than I did yesterday. Oh, that's good. You're faking it real good, right? That's right. I just needed a week off. <laughs> hey, um, I called him a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you guys remember this call. I was losing a lot of coolant when it was cold. Yeah, yeah, like I remember. Two to three gallons. You remember that call? Yeah. And you guys wanted me to call back when we figured it out. Well, pulled the pan off, and it was this gushing um, into the pan from the water pump. Uh, so I was okay. getting past something on a water pump and what going into the, the oil pan. What engine do you have? The uh, 12.7. Okay. Yeah, so the water pumps are different. And you have, yeah. uh, you know, oil on one side, water on the other, and you have uh, fuel there. And I've seen that on the cats where we um, actually had a guy come in for a losing coolant, and his water pump was leaking out the weep hole. And that's what they're supposed to do. So, you know, I have an issue. Well, he decides to plug it. 
And in the meantime, so it's got to go somewhere, and it's just filling his oil pan up with, with coolant. Did that. And when you drop the pan, you could see it come you know, straight out from the, the uh, front of the engine where the water pump connects to the, the rest of the gear drain. Yep, that's it. But it wasn't coming out of the weep hole on mine. It only did it when it was cold. It would only lose it when it was cold. So I'm guessing that that whatever was swelling up and tightening up and wasn't wouldn't leak when it was running. But when it got cold, it would it would leak by. I mean, it leaked a lot. It was crazy how much was coming out. I thought when we spoke about this, you weren't seeing any. The, the oil level wasn't going up though. Well, I guess it was. And I just wasn't catching it, but it was, it, it was, that was on me. Yep. And that would make sense. It would be going up. Okay. I'm glad you were able to find it. Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually talking to shippers about getting the truck shipped up to you guys and I was going to put a new motor in it. I mean, I was going through all my expenses, make sure I could do it and blah, blah, blah. And, my mechanic called me back and said, hey, it's just your water pump. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Yep. So, there we go. Nice surprise for you. Yep. That's all I got, man. All right. Glad you're feeling better, Kevin. Yes, thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. Hey, what's up, Kevin? What's up, guys? Uh, the answer to that, the CNG, when you were talking about because I worked for that place in Wisconsin, we had it. And the biggest uh, cost for those things was it was like a coil pack because they, they had spark plugs, and when they, you know, they would burn out. Those were expensive, and then the other sec, the other thing too was the oil. The oil for that. I tried to get my boss to do the OPS, but he didn't want to hear nothing about it. I even told him tried, you know, to, you know, the return on it, and he didn't. He just didn't want to hear about it. But the oil was expensive, and the, the biggest expense of all is you had to inspect those cylinders. Now we had different types we had saddle types so on either side of the truck had two cylinders and you had to make sure that they you know the bands and all the rubber behind them and we had like 14 of the ones on the saddle that he had to replace um cylinders on so those are carbon yeah. fiber I mean, the amount of money that's where all the money you know what i mean when you when you look at i mean they probably didn't break down the maintenance on it they, so whoever they got that number from was probably just like you know it was all grouped into one but but, you know, it's part of the thing. You know, you had to make sure the stuff was right. We had new trucks that came in behind the cabs, and the, the cylinders, there was three cylinders in there, and they were rotating inside that thing. And they came out, and they uh, glued, they took these blocks, these composite blocks, and wedged them on either side of the, of the, the you know, with the cradle they were in so they wouldn't rotate. But, you know, that's... Well, most of the maintenance came in for those things. You know, it's interesting. Now, I do remember this as well. Somewhere I came across an oil sample, and I don't remember how this happened. But I was looking at it, and I was so confused. I'm looking at this oil sample going, I've never seen anything look like this. It turned out it's because it was in a natural gas engine. The oils are completely different. The problems that you run up against trying to read an oil sample was... It was like trying to read a, a foreign language to me. I wasn't understanding anything about it. And the other thing with it, too, was they had EGRs on them, too. And what happened, because I actually, when, when John Walker was on, I, I uh, was thinking about getting in contact with him and seeing if he could come up with authority for those, for that. Oh, yeah. But I come, it basically was a come, because they, we would, that's another thing we'd get. They would get so gunked up 
because of the way they burned. And remember, too, like we, I was in Wisconsin, in the wintertime, you couldn't put as much fuel in because the tanks, you know, physics didn't yeah. expand as much. So you really, it was a lot of like contract condensation and all that. So the, the filters had to be changed a lot because they did have fuel filters. A lot, you had to make sure your filters were always clean and the EGRs we had, they, we were replacing a lot of EGRs and that's when I was like, man, we got to be something. But, but when they took the EGRs off, it was like this green slime that was coming out of it. So it really wasn't carbon. It was weird. It was weird. It was, but that's where the maintenance, most of the maintenance is on those things. Yeah. Got it. Uh, I'll let someone else get in there. Later, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Yep. Let's go to West Virginia this time. David, welcome to the program. Let me try that again. David, good morning. Hello. Yeah, I sent you an oil sample. All right. Let's see what we got here. All right. So it's a an MX-13. What year is it? Uh, it's a 2014, but the motor is a 13. And we've got uh, coming up on a million miles on the engine itself. Yep. 26,000 on the oil. Do you have a bypass filter at all? Uh, no. Okay. Um, it just got the, it's got its own little bypass thing, you know, the little spinner. Uh, it's like a centrifugal thing that they got made into the motor. Yeah, there's some bypass filtration on the new engines. Not full bypass, but um, what I'm, I'm more concerned about your last sample what was going on in the last sample? Had the um, had the engine been opened up? Uh, yeah, because three samples ago, the oil sample got taken when the oil was cold, and it gave us all kind of screwy stuff. So I had the pan pulled off, and they actually went ahead and changed uh, all the bearings. Um, they said they technically didn't need change, but since we had the pan off, I went ahead and had it done. Um, hey. So, you know, I've actually got a little problem with that. Uh, I don't know how they presented it, if they talked you into it. or I, I, We just don't see bearings fail. I mean, even when you're rebuilding these engines at 1.3, 1.4, the bearings are fine. And that idea, well, let's put them in because we're already in here. Well, no, because they, they really don't fail. You're looking at them. They're in good condition. I, I just hate to spend money like that when we don't need to. Um, I yeah, didn't, I didn't really like it either, but the pan was back on before I realized what they'd done. So. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, there was a weird silicon reading back there. It jumped up over 30, so I figured something must have been opened up. I mean, honestly, for yeah, a million they had, miles. They had to pan off. Yeah, they had to pan off, plus they run the overhead at the same time. So ah, the top well, and the bottom was opened that, up. That'll do it. And we're right back down to six, so it cleaned itself up really fast. Um, uh, honestly, for a million miles, this is a really good-looking oil sample. Uh, yeah, now, once I got the oil sample back, I looked at it. It, it looked fine to me. Um, I did go ahead and change both of my oil filters after the fact, and I added a gallon of oil to it because I, I kind of thought the base might be just a little bit low. And when I changed the filters, I just went ahead and added a gallon. Um, I do run the AMS oil full synthetic. Um, I've tried the last two samples, the put on the paperwork that I had AMS oil, but for some reason, they it never shows up once I turn it into them. Huh. Okay. Well, like I say, for a million-mile engine, this is a great-looking sample. All right. That's what uh, I thought so myself, but I just wanted that little extra 
good feeling, you know what I mean? Yep, there you go. All right, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, let's uh, go to Nebraska this time. Grant, welcome to the program. Good morning. Glad you're feeling better. I called a couple weeks ago, but apparently I was in very remote service and got cut out talking about heavy duty extension cords. Okay. Um, my first question um, everything I've seen, so the, the ISX 15 and the X15 are two separate engines, correct? They're with a little bit of overlapping years. No, so I mean, th- there's no overlap. So it was the ISX, and then they came out with what then they referred to as the X15, which is just basically the next generation of okay. their. That's what I thought. Leader. Yeah, <clears throat> they are different wow. in many ways. It's not like an entire thing. It's not the difference between N14 and ISX. Gotcha, gotcha. Because a friend of mine bought a truck I used to drive, and it was a 2012, and I was like, well, it's got an ISX-15 in it, and I don't remember if the fuel pump had been changed from ceramic. And he's like, well, no, it's an X-15. I'm like, well, no, it's a 15-liter ISX, not an X-15. They're they're separate, but I I wasn't going to argue semantics over it. Uh, And then a question, I I did end up taking my whole air intake out apart and put white lithium grease everywhere. Um, which was a good thing. I ended up finding some uh, the boost boots leading to the air-to-air. They were starting to flake apart inside, so I replaced those before they failed. So that was kind of a positive. But I have a question. I thought the grease would stay sticky in there, but I guess it dries. How does that help catch the dirt if it sneaks through? On the air intake piping? Yeah. I mean, air just runs through there. So if there is any dirt, it's going to collect on there. Obviously, it's not going to collect at all because you have a five-inch diameter pipe. It's just something extra to do that's relatively easy that can help prevent some dirt ingestion. Now, keep in mind, if everything's connected properly and the air filter is clean, we're not going to get any dirt in there anyhow. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I pulled it apart. I was like, well, I'm going to look and see if there's any. And there was a little bit of dirt, and I thought maybe it was just condensate because it was in the low spots and I would assume just hot air and the engine cooling down and then cold at night, there's going to be some condensation probably. And mm-hmm. it seemed like there was little trails. But then I was just curious if the, the grease dries and it's not sticky when I touched it, how does, the, how does it catch the dirt? Well, keep in mind, as it warms up, it's going to get sticky and you are oh, going to get okay. residue heat from the engine. Gotcha. And, okay. and that'll soften up the grease. Gotcha. And then uh, my comment, the extension cord comment that I got cut off about. Uh, so one thing to be careful, everybody was saying buy the bigger cords. Some companies cheat, and they just make the insulation bigger, and the cords, the, the actual conductor size is still small. So uh, you want to pay attention to the label, not just look at the size of the cord, because um, that can be frustrating. You think you're getting a nice heavy cord, and it's really just 16-gauge with a boatload of insulation wrapped around it. But then, like, in the entertainment industry, when I was doing concerts, our extension cords, it was five conductors of four-aught, good for 400 amps each hot leg. So those, that was a heavy-duty extension cord. Yeah, uh, you guys have a good day. All oh, right. Yeah, every, all the stagehands would comment, well, I'm just going to turn this in for scrap. Well, no, it's worth more as is. Don't scrap it. I, I think, though, to when we talk about the grease thing, I don't think that, 
white lithium dries out. I think it separates if it gets too hot. So maybe we could see I, if you could find a, another grease that's a little bit higher temp rating. Okay, because yeah, I used I used the aerosol one. I I called in and some one I don't remember who I talked to, but they said you could just use the aerosol white lithium grease. So maybe I used the yeah. wrong one. No, that's what we used here. Yeah, it works. It's just if it gets too hot, I think it separates into lithium and whatever, like the petroleum and all that kind of chemical jazz happens. I, I don't imagine it got too hot because it's, it's been fairly cold lately, but maybe it got hot right at the air filter. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe try a higher temp one and see if, it, uh, see if it separates or not, just as an experiment. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. All right, let's go to Wisconsin. Austin, welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. What can we help you with today? Um, I have a question about, so I, I took my truck in and got some work done, and they told me that my timing plate is starting to seep oil, and they're recommending me to change it, and I just want to get an opinion on what you guys think about that, because this is like a 40-hour job. Like, this is a big job it's going to cost me a lot of money what engine do you have uh d13 okay yeah unfortunately don't know much about that engine to know but generally even on the other engines uh the front cover timing cover whatever you want to call it, it's generally labor intense um the, the yeah, leak's not doing any any engine damage uh, it's more of a nuisance i mean you might want to wait until it gets worse you always have fresh oil in there. I mean, yeah. yeah, just extended oil drains. Yep. You just never have to change. You just keep putting more in, right? But yeah. no. you know, hose the engine off weekly or every other week uh, until it gets bad enough where it's like, okay, this is getting really sloppy and it's time to change it. But generally, they are labor-intense jobs. I mean, is it pretty normal to have like trucks that leak out of that? It's not that bad. It's just seeping out, so it's not like horrible. But uh, I mean, I was kind of recommended just to get rid of the truck and get a new truck because the intense labor job and how much it's going to cost me. So I just don't really know. What, what your truck is? Like, it's an 18. Okay. I've got 700,000 or 750,000 miles. So I definitely would not trade a truck in because of an oil leak. No. <clears throat> yeah, okay. It's not like you're putting 40 hours of labor in a 05 uh, Freightliner that's shaking itself to death isn't worth the 40 hours labor. I mean, you still got a truck that has some value to it. I think it'd be worth putting money into compared to the price of a new truck. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, I was told it's going to be about ten to $12,000 to fix it. I mean, I just don't know if it's worth it or worth I mean, everybody tells me different opinions, but I mean, so, the only thing I look at it is next time I'm just going to have to replace something else. So it's just going to be, you know, replace, replace, replace from now on. Well, well, no, no, stop, stop. Okay. That's not true. And who, you said you got different advice from different people. Who told you that you should spend ten or $12,000 to fix an oil leak? Um, well, the, uh, the, well, the shop, I, did, I took it to a shop in Minneapolis, and they recommended me to do that. They said it's just going to get worse and worse. So why not wait to see if they're right? What's the worst that could, uh, Pete, have you ever seen an oil leak that went from being this small to being something that, you know, now we can't drive the truck? I mean, it, it just doesn't no, happen that way. What's right. that? It's just slowly going to get worse. Yeah, right. It's not going to leave them stranded. It's not like it's a, a code on the dash saying, you know, fix this problem or we're going to derate. It, it's not the case. Right. And I, honestly, I've never even seen like one cause that big of a leak. 
Mm-mm. Okay. Well, and that idea that that idea that now I'm just going to have to keep replacing things. There's there's just no evidence for that. Right. Well, I mean, my camshaft went out, so that was really expensive. Uh, I mean, I just feel like I'm going to have to replace injectors soon and all that. I just wait. wait stop. Stop. I stop. I mean, uh, hold on. What is your indication that you're going to have to replace injectors soon? Because it has high miles. So. That's not an indicator. Miles aren't, I, I okay. don't, I've seen injectors last a very, very long time. So you're, you're speculating okay. on a lot of things that there's just no evidence for that. Right, right. Well, that's just kind of what, I guess I get advice from all kinds of people. So some people say this and some people say that. So, hey, 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 Austin, um, I can help you with that. What, what's my favorite okay. question? Um... Don't compare, or why am I comparing myself to what other people say? You were on the right track there. My favorite question is just one word, and you said it. Why? When they tell you why? you should spend yeah. ten to $12,000 to fix this little oil leak, my question with them to be, would be why? And if their only answer, you already gave it, is they say, well, it's just going to get worse. Oh, okay. Well, I'll wait then. Because it's not bad enough now that I would spend, I wouldn't spend $1,100 to fix it. It's just a little oil leak. Right. Okay. Well. And to be on the safe side, get an estimate from another shop, just so you have an idea, so you're comparing apples to apples. And, and you know, yeah. as the leak gets worse, at least you can say, hey, this shop's going to do it for six grand. Now it's getting to the point where it's really messy. I'm concerned about DOT. Maybe I need to fix it at that point but i'd get a estimate from another shop okay yeah that's yeah that's what i'm going to probably end up having to do um yeah i just know it's labor intensive so but i guess it's not that bad i mean i haven't no i mean i noticed it and then i asked my my guy and he said it's it's pretty bad but he never rec- he didn't recommend changing it so. So, you know, on an ISX, do a front cover. If, if we have to do the front structure, so there's two pieces. You have your, your tin cover that can leak, and then your front structure, which is basically the support. If that has to come off, the pan comes down, uh, we have to support the engine, obviously, to pull that off. But even at that, you know, labor-wise, maybe three grand, 3500 some gaskets, oil filters. So, I mean, even if it took twice as long, it shouldn't cost four times as much. Right. Yeah, 10 grand seemed awfully steep. I, I just did, I don't know the D13 engine to know what you're running. Maybe they just shot high, just, you know, you quote high. They, don't you the don't, job. they have to drop the that, or you they don't have want to drop, drop points. trans for that one because it's under the trans. It's above the trans. So they have oh, to drop the rear. Stuff. So, yeah. It's the rear structure? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that is more labor than the front structure. Yeah. So that's At that point, maybe wait until you need a clutch. Or some transmission. Yeah, well, they do this. yeah, that's kind of what I might be waiting for then. You know, just do it then. All right, well, thank you. appreciate the advice. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Arkansas. Dave, welcome to the program. Morning. Good morning. Hey, before we, uh, hey, Dave, before we get to your call, I see Bruce is here, so I'm going to bring Bruce in and say good morning. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. You, you, uh, did you get a little tune-up this morning? I got a tune-up electric shock treatment, and what they charge for four one-and-a-half-hour treatments is more than we charge to put a truck on a dyno when they analyze the problems. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, you know, 
an old body, and I got a I got a snowmobile with these young owner operators, and I got to keep up with them. That's right. So got to got to keep everything in place. That's right. So you know, on oil leaks, those blue paper tiles that I've talked about, and you could use a little ratchet strap like a motorcycle hold down to to wrap that around that rear structure and hold those in place, and they'll suck up a lot of oil. And I try to make that. I would make that. Uh, I would. That's what I would do, and uh, and not worry about that leak until it was rebuild time. I agree. I agree. I Another guy I talked to last night. He's got a little bit of blow by, no oil consumption, and the dealership wants to do a rebuild on his at five hundred and some thousand miles. And I said, absolutely not. And I had another guy call this week. He went in for a leaky injector tube, and then they said, well, we got to put a head on it. I know you can repair the injector tubes on an ISX while it's in the heads on the engine. And they said, no, that's not a good. So they pulled the head off, and he, he's he been running catalyst his whole, the whole life of the engine. The engine was absolutely spotless inside. You can see the crosshatch. And they talked him into rebuilding. Then he went back a couple of days later, and they have the block sitting on the floor. What? $52,000 for a leaky injector tube. Oh. So uh, I don't know what's going on with these other shops. I know everybody's slow and everybody's looking for work because of the state of the economy. But you got to be careful today because these things are happening and it's worse now than I've ever heard in my 48 years. Hey, Bruce, we had kind of a similar call just before you got here. Shop had the the pan off and said, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with your bearings, but we think we should replace them." And they put a new set of bearings in it. I, that's just crazy to me. We just don't put bearings in hardly anything anymore. And so what? You've got no. the pan off. It's not that big of a deal to take the pan off to begin with, and it's not enough to say, "Well, we've got the pan off. We should put bearings in." No, you shouldn't. That's right. That's exactly right. And. Uh, can I mention one other call I had this week? Sure. Or last since the last show? And 14 in a century. He used to drive it at 70 miles an hour, and he started listening to the show. He started slowing down and slowing down, and uh, he was between 5 and 6. And now he's at 57 mile an hour, one mile an hour slower than your speed, and he's averaging his last year's average was 8.5. And he said when he really watches it, he hits 10, and he's hit 11 out of an N14 in a century with 1.6 million miles on it, and it's still the original engine. Wow. Nice. So, and, you know, and I keep I, – I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm a, out here driving slow because I don't drive slow, and I'm not telling people to drive slow, but when you call and you want fuel mileage, you, you want to drive 75 mile an hour, and I had another – Last night, another 80-mile-an-hour guy, and he's 60-some years old. So that's two 60-plus-year-old guys in the last two weeks that want to drive at 80. Whew. So, yeah. And slowing down the cheapest thing you can do for fuel mileage. I mean, it literally costs nothing. Just leave, just leave earlier. Yeah. If you're leaving from home on a trip, leave an hour, an hour and a half earlier, and just try it. And, and not saying you're going to adopt it, but try it for a day or two and see what happens. Yeah, because we keep getting all these phone calls for fuel mileage, but they always want to still drive seventy-five and eighty. 
Yeah, yep. that's money in your pocket. It is. You know, it, it's unlike right. when I drive to the truck show. You know, I need to get there. My job is to get there, set up, and be at the show. So if I run a little fast on the way down because I want to get there, or fast because I want to get home, you know, the difference in fuel uh, mileage is almost irrelevant to us. We're not making a living for me driving that truck there. Correct. Um, we're making money for me being at the show. So if if it costs an extra ten bucks for me to get there, that's no harm, no foul. But you know, if I could save ten bucks a day, and that's money in my pocket to drive a little slower, I, I certainly would. And, and we know this is even greater. Well, but I'm saying in the pickup. So the one time I yeah. was comparing fuel mileage, if I slowed down to running faster, and it would have cost me ten bucks. I'm like it's not worth ten bucks to me because yeah. again, I'm here for a different reason. But on a, a, a Class A truck, you know, twenty, thirty dollars a day—that's just money in your pocket. Right. So my call last night, and I returned. One sec. I returned call so nine o'clock at night. When I talked to this owner operator, he used to listen to the show when you were on XM. He hasn't got the app yet. He knew all about the Catalyst driving a W nine. It has five hundred eighty six thousand on it. He has spent fourteen thousand the past year or so on emissions. This is one where the dealer says you need to rebuild it because you have a little puffing coming out the oil pillar cap. His wife and his friends kept talking him out of the catalyst, but he wanted to try it. And his wife's saying is the truck should do what it's supposed to do without adding anything. Well, today's fuels are bad. And Pete was just talking to me this morning about uh, how truck stops will buy the cheapest fuel they can absolutely get. So you have to make the fuel be compatible with your truck. So he stopped and saw Russ last night in Montana, picked up a gallon of catalyst. I spoke to him. He had 170 stop, put 11 ounces in, topped off his tanks, and it was 179 miles later, and his sensor problems went away, and the truck was pulling stronger than it ever has since he bought it at 250,000. 179 miles is all it took, or less, for him to feel the difference of the max mileage catalyst. And he said, now I've got to go tell my friends that have been leading me astray. you got to be careful when, when, you're, when people are talking. And a lot of people talk out of their ass, and they really don't know what they're talking about. Bruce, that's why my, I talk all the time about my favorite question. When somebody tells you something, just ask them why. And why yeah. or why not? And you will find out pretty quickly whether they know what they're talking about or whether they're just repeating something they've heard somewhere else. Right. You know, Pete and I have spent our lives on the phone, and when a person calls us or we're talking to someone else or even another mechanic, it takes about two minutes or less to know if this person knows what they're talking about. Right. Yep. You know, Kevin, when uh, when you were doing water skiing and I was doing water skiing and I'd take people to the slalom course. Yeah, I run that slalom course all the time. So you want to start out on the long line at 75 or do you want to? Start out on the 60. Uh, whatever. <laughs> oh, no, it's not whatever. No. <laughs> and then you watch them line up for the first ball, and then, then you know. Right. And snow skiing's the same way. They tell me how great of a snow skier they are. So our first day of skiing together, I let them get off the lift, and I let them go ahead of me. And uh, within 300 feet, I know if they know how to ski. Yeah. And it's yep. the same way when we talk to people on the phone. 
guys that are mechanically inclined that know their truck, work on their truck, it's a different conversation. Yeah, sure is. All right, so, Dave, anything else? Josh Schaefer's already Josh Schaefer's already at the gateway in for the snowmobile conference. He said it's beautiful and uh God, he's two days early. He's excited. He's the mechanic at Turnaround Transport in Moberly, Missouri. Jeff Nelson, the owner's on his way. I called Jeff on Sunday and I could hear he's driving a truck with straight stacks. He delivers fuel oil and gasoline out of Missouri. And uh, I said, what are you driving? He says, oh, I'm driving my 2379 with that 2WS that you guys built. He said, man, there's nothing finer. And he was, he said, I said, are you at 80,000? He said, oh, I'm a little bit over. I said, what's your boost right now? He said, I'm going 75 at six pound of boost. That's telling you that we have the right turbo and everything's set just perfect on that. Yeah, you're not kidding. Oh, the guy with the N4, the guy with the N14 at 57 mile an hour on the level that gets the eight and a half to 10, he runs along at 57 at one pound of boost. Wow. One pound. That's running free. You realize that truck's pulling that load at probably 70 horsepower or less? Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. So it was an, it's been an interesting week on the phone. Sounds like it. Speaking of phones, we better get back to some because they're piling up on us. Let's go to Florida. David, welcome. Oh, hey, guys. Oh, I got an ISX Cummins in a 2017 Peterbilt. And it's giving me an injector code. It's saying that the number six solenoid uh, is bad. Uh, can can uh, does those have to be programmed to the truck or to the ECM when you replace them, or do they just plug and plug? That's a Leroy question. Did you say it was an X15? Yeah, it's an X15 to 17 model. Yeah, I think that those um, they don't have barco- barcodes anymore. I think you can just put them in and then they uh they auto tune for it which you'll want to do though once you replace it you'll need the software to reset the trims so then it can begin to auto adjust and trim itself over time but there's no sort of injector code or anything to put in okay so that have to, you have to have a laptop or something with coming software to redo it, to reset it yeah well I, I would imagine if you put it in it's going to just trim itself over time again uh-huh. if you just wanted to do it that way you know it's probably not going to be the end of the world uh, if you wanted to do it by the book, then that would be what you would need to do. Okay. Well, I was trying to find out because this truck's got 700,000 miles on it, and this is the first injector code that I've had on it. And I was just seeing if it's something I could do because I didn't really want to take it to the shop because I didn't want to be down for a week because I run LTL Reaper Freak, and I'm gone all week with it. And for me to do that, I've got to rent a truck to keep moving. And would it be yeah. beneficial to change all the injectors at one time, or would it be just change that one and keep running them? I mean, which one's better, putting all six in, sure, but that's kind of a waste of money. You know? And terribly expensive. Yeah. Terribly expensive. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like you have a misfire, you have a bad solenoid. I'd simply replace the one. I mean, it's not uncommon to see these go between rebuilds without changing them. So um, I would replace the one. Yeah. Okay. So just replace the one and, and be done with it. Now, this. It's going to be Friday before I get back home. I'm I'm in Florida and I get back to Tennessee. I don't think I'll have any problems driving it the rest of the week, would I? Uh, if the injector dies, I mean, it's not the the best to run five cylinders. Yeah, well, I mean, right now it's not it's not derating or giving me any performance issues. It's got just as much power now, seems like as it did before. So, and 
I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be the only bad thing. On the it dies. Yeah, if it completely dies. Okay. Then you have a dead right. hole. Yeah. Not great. A dead hole. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that's what I was wondering about because I was going to get an injector and put it in myself because it don't look like they're that difficult to install from what I've seen on videos. Of them. You just pop them out and pop them back in, right? Yeah, I like your enthusiasm. We need more people like that. <laughs> How hard is it? Hey, six weeks ago, I just put a clutch and a rear main seal in it, so... You know, yeah, there you go. I do know how to. I, I do know how to do a little bit of work. And that guy talking about his rear structure leaking, what you know, after I replaced the rear main seal on this one, my rear structure went to leaking. So I'm like, well, I can't win for losing, but I'm gonna keep a trying. So <laughs> that's it, man. All right, fellas, hey, that was what hey, I had today. Just, hey, do you have a do you have a garage? Uh, yeah, right now I have a shop. Do you I'm have a shop at your home? We, well, I mean, I'm in with another business. I'm in business partners with a people that has a trailer repair and a shop and stuff, and that's the reason why I can work oh. on this stuff. Good. That's good. Yeah. Every owner-operator should I, I, have a garage that he can work on his truck in. Yeah, like I said, I, I try to do as much maintenance as I possibly can. That way I don't have to you know, go to a dealer or to another shop because I've had bad experiences with other shops, so I try to do as much as I can to myself. So. There you go. That's All right. right. Good stuff. Calls are piling up on us. We got to keep moving along here. We're going to go to Idaho. Brant, welcome. Hey, how you doing? I I was calling about the. I think it was your first caller that had a twelve seven, and he was getting coolant in the oil, and it ended up going through, coming through the water pump. And I've had a similar problem. Uh, mine got away from me, and I got the block out of the truck now, and I'm putting a new crank in it. But it, how is there a way? I found a couple warm barrels that could have caused a coolant intrusion, but I haven't found the smoking gun yet. And is there a way to test the water pump and the air compressor? I I used to rebuild water pumps years ago, and those were for all big cams and small cams, and I'm sure they all have similar bellows inside, but I there was never a way to test it. And as far as the air compressor goes, I, there was just four bolts pulled off, and I'd put a new head gasket on the air compressor. There was two gaskets, and that was a pretty simple fix. Now, on a Bendix Westinghouse, I've never tried that. So, But I still don't know if there's any way to test it to see if that put coolant into your pan. Hmm. Okay. Okay, yeah, because I, I, I thought for sure, before I pulled it apart, I thought for sure it was the head gasket pulled it apart and the head gasket was in good shape and then I sent the head out to be tested and it tested kind of good but it had eight thousandths worth of warpage and Detroit says you can have up to eleven thousandths but I thought anything more than two was excessive so I am replacing the head uh, but like I said I, I found some warm barrels that it could have been but not the smoking gun hmm. You haven't found out why you got coolant into the oil? No. I pulled one liner because I, I had a problem with number three. That's where the, That was the rod bearing that quit and, and came apart. And I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, my, lot, my way of thinking is the coolant caused the rod bearing to fail. But I could have just had a rod bearing fail. This, this is a new engine. I only had 22,000 miles on it. 
So I'm thinking I could have had a bad rod bearing. Well, I wasn't thinking this. Somebody put this idea in my head that I could have had a rod, bad rod bearing when the rod bearing disintegrated or, or fell out or came apart. Uh, I had light contact with number three, uh, the piston contact in the valves lightly, and he said that the other guy that was I was chatting with said, that could have been enough to lift the head to allow coolant to go in there because your rod was, you know, slapping all around the crankshaft. I never I don't heard know of that one. That, uh, we've yeah. seen a lot of pistons hitting valves and never had that issue. Uh, it'll bend the valve or take the seat of the valve right off before it would pick that head up. Um, <clears throat> but 22,000 miles on a new engine, was that a... a Detroit remand or no, it was uh, you... my, my shop remand <laughs> okay I interesting how much did you put, did you put a what what's that how much antifreeze were you getting in the oil um, was it, I, I, it was I, using the I, oil I, level or was it just showing up on an oil analysis well it it uh, for the first uh, well right up until about twenty about 20,000 miles, I, I wasn't having a problem. I did have an external leak that I, I discovered the clamp was bottoming out and it wasn't allowing it to clamp tight enough at the oil cooler. So I changed that clamp so that I got rid of my external leak. Um, and I only noticed it went up, I mean, it, it went up like maybe not even a quarter inch and I second-guessed myself when I looked at the Zipsick the second time when it went up, and I said, huh, was I level last time? Maybe I wasn't level last time I checked it. Why did it go up? Yada, yada, yada. And then I drove it like another, maybe not even, maybe uh, 210 miles, and I pulled the dipstick again, and it was, and by this time it was knocking. And I pulled the dipstick again, and it was up, you know, an inch and a half. It, it happened wow. like right now. I did send a sample off before all this started, and just out of just out of shit luck, it didn't get back to me. It actually took five weeks to get back to me, and I had to make a call to Horizon to say, "Hey, where's my sample?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we did it on the 29th." And I'm like, "Can I get a copy of it?" And when they emailed, re-emailed me a copy of it. Uh, it definitely showed coolant along with all the wear metals. I mean, it was it had every wear metal known to mankind, but it was I, that sample was pulled about 15, 15 not even, yeah, about 1,500 miles before it failed. Okay. I, I, have other a, I have, I have, go, go ahead, Pete. What did the other bearings look like? So, you know, if this was a failure because of coolant, on the bearings, the other bearings should look bad as well. If they all look good and you just had this one failure, it might not be coolant related because all the bearings yeah, the, the, the cam bearings look brand new. The rod bearings, I've got, you know, very minute specks of gold in them, probably from the one that came apart and then getting pumped through. Uh, the main bearings have gouges in them and gouge down to the copper would be debris more but, than likely from the one felling. Yeah, the debris that got pumped through, you know, when I ran it, the 200 and something miles or whatever I ran it, you know, not knowing, not, not trusting my memory as far as whether the truck was level or not, the dipstick, how much oil it was making. When you built the engine, 
did you put in reconditioned connecting rods? I didn't this time. I, I When I did an in-frame, I replaced all six rods. And then it, these rods had 750,000 on them, and I did not replace them this time. And so years ago, the rule was the rod end starts to go out around at 300,000 miles. Hmm. I so did send them to the machine shop. Yeah, I did send them to the machine shop, and they checked them whether that check involved out of roundness or not, or whether they just magnafluxed them. Or what they did, I, I don't know. Okay. And I had another thought. I, I guess if I'm going to, oh, hey. if, uh, I, I haven't put it back together yet, but if I'm going to, uh, now that you've got me questioning the quality of the rods, if I go and replace all the rods this time, the original engine, it's a PK-12-7, the original engine did not have journals in the rods for oil. And when I did the in-frame last time, they couldn't get the original rod. So they said, do you want to replace one rod with this, with this journal in it, or do you want to replace all six? And I said to replace all six of them, and it had the oil journal in it. And... I don't, I mean, the, the part number's on that rod, so I can get replacement rods for that, but it's not the original design that came with that engine. It's a D-Deck it's 4, a D-deck, but it's a P- D-Deck 4. Mm. Yeah, D-Deck 4, okay. and it's a, it, it, the PK and the BK, I know you, you talk a lot about the BK. The PK and the BK are, are very similar. Uh, I don't know what the difference is between them, but it is not an MK. It's the compression ratio of the piston. The PK will make smoke. Now, the piston's hitting the valve. You should put this together and put our 10,000-sticker head gasket on it. Well, I got a new head coming that hasn't been cut. Not the head. It's the block. The blockman, how many times has that block been resurfaced? Once. Do you know how many thousands they took off? Uh, going from memory, I want to say 12, but I'm, I'm not right. there. Very good. There's why your pistons were hitting. Put, put our 10,000 sticker head gasket and that'll bring the block back to where it was originally. Okay. Well, the piston, I mean, the head, it, it, the head is, the head's flat. So it doesn't matter how much you take off the head, but yes, it does because then it's the clearance of the gears up in the front of the engine. So you really want to put that 10,000. Do we still have those gaskets, Pete? I, I would think so. Uh, I would have to check in the uh, parks department to okay. see if we have them. I haven't sold okay. them for a while. Okay. The way I read it is, you know, you can take X amount off of the head and X amount off the block as long as neither, com- you know, combined uh, surfacing doesn't exceed 30 thousandths. And, and I was somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 thousandths because uh, then you run into uh, gear lash issues and all that kind of stuff. But I was at around 22 thousandths. 13 thousandths uh, is a half a compression ratio. Somebody's giving you bad information. You can't take that much Detroit. off and not end <laughs> And and the still Detroit have manual. and not have the, the yeah. Okay. I, I, I what I read in the Detroit manual was you can't have a combined uh, surface. You know you can't you can't lose more than thirty thousandths worth of metal, whether it's between what you know between the block and the head. 
and they did give a spec on how much you can take off individually, and I forget what that is, but I know the combined total was 30000 Okay. So that and was this timing ever advanced? Because if you advance timing, you can also hit valves. Well, I think the valve it was only one it was only one cylinder that hit the the made light contact and it was the cylinder that had the rod bearing disintegrate on it. Oh, so okay. I think the timing the timing was all off because it didn't have that bushing of a bearing in there to keep everything timed right. That's correct. But I can tell you if I took ten twelve thousandths off a block and I could put a ten thousand sticker head gasket, I would do it. Okay. All right. Hey, back to your connecting rods. Does this engine have piston coolant nozzles in it? Yes. Okay. You have to use the – really shouldn't be switching rods out from one style to the other. So on some of the earlier engines, they didn't have piston coolant nozzles, but the, the, the way the connecting rod was designed, they would get splashed from that for the piston. And then once they started – putting piston coolant nozzles in these Detroits, then it took a different rod. And you have to get the right rod for that. It's, it's a, a problem if you have the wrong rods in there. Yes. Okay. So are you saying, Pete, does he have the rod that has the hole that goes up through the center plus yeah, the piston coolant? So you might have a lack of oil pressure at the bearings then. Well, I mean, it, the engine ran that way for seven hundred and fifty thousand. It's just when I went to rebuild it, I, okay. I did uh, something else went wrong. Okay. And when you have a bearing major bearing failure, the, the damage is so bad, it's almost impossible to see what happened. You know, as bearings start to fail, they have books for bearing failure, and it could be fuel in the oil, coolant in the oil. Um, hard startup where someone would fire it up and it's cold out and just nail the throttle. Um, there's a wiping action that goes on. So there's different types of failures you can see and explain what caused them. But when you have a major failure, there's so much damage, you just can't tell anything. You know, with the exception of, say, a, a broken bolt for the rod, you know, which is obvious. You know, the bolt's in the pan. Um, okay, yeah. a bolt broke, it blew, something like that. But generally, that's a problem with the failure like this. You, you just can't tell what happened. And as far as the coolant goes, um, this is where when we have an issue like that, we try to find the problem first um, because once you tear into it, you disabled it and you can't go any further. You know, yeah, so I, pressured up the cool, I, I pressured up the coolant system before I started taking it apart, and I could not find a leak, but I – I didn't top off the coolant, so, you know, I, I, I should have topped off the coolant and filled it all the way up, and I didn't. I just, whatever coolant was in the engine, I put a pressure on the expansion tank. I pressured up, you know, the, the system and couldn't find, you know, with the pan off and everything, I couldn't find coolant moving anywhere, and it held pressure, but I, I, sh I should have topped off the entire coolant system, and I did not. Right. So we always top it off. We, you know, we will drop the pan, look for leaks there. Uh, I can leak at the injector tube. We'll pull the injectors out. We'll pull the intake and exhaust manifold off to see if it's coming from just a crack in the cylinder head. Um, you know, so there's a, a bunch of places you can have coolant getting into the oil. And one of the problems is sometimes it doesn't do it with the engine sitting there. You don't have 
the heat when it's sitting there that you have going down the road. You don't have the vibration. You don't have the pressures going on. So sometimes what I consider a static test, the engine's sitting there and we pump it up and we look for leaks. Things don't always show up when there is indeed a leak. And it's not uncommon not to be able to find something like that. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I, I can't find it. And I, I I thought for sure, you know, I was like, just, just you know, law of averages. I was like, ah, it's the head gasket. Because when I, when I put the engine together, and uh, this is my my first big engine. I mean, I've I've re- rebuilt Volkswagen diesels and Ford IDIs, but I've never done a, a big truck engine. Um, and I had guidance. I wasn't I wasn't shooting from the hip on this. Uh, but when um, when I put the head on and put all the engine together and everything, I went to prime the pu- fuel system, and I forgot the two uh, plugs in the front of the head, and I was just spewing fuel everywhere. So I had to lift the head off again and set the cam and lift the head off and put those two plugs in, either that or pull the front cover off. And mm-hmm. so I, I opted I opted to lift the, the head off and I'm I'm like I did you know, something got in there when I set that head back down and so I convinced myself that I did something wrong on the head gasket when reinstalling the head and uh and when it came apart everything looked solid. I mean it looked it looked good. A head gasket seldom causes coolant to get to the oil. A a blown head gasket would pressurize the radiator, uh, you could have an external leak, but for the coolant to get into oil, you're breaching two passageways. One, the coolant passageway, and then an oil passageway. So it mm. is rare that a head gasket would be causing this. Now, a crack in a head could, injector tube could, liner O-rings, crack in the liner itself, water pump, um, air compressors. There's a bunch of places we can get it, but it is really rare that a head gasket's causing it. Pete, you brought up something good. How did what did you use to lubricate your liner packing? So, um, I think the I think the Detroit manual called for Vaseline, and I had to run to the drugstore and get Vaseline because I, I that was the only thing on the engine that called for Vaseline, and I thought that was odd. But that's I think that's what I know there was a Vaseline somewhere in there, and I think that was it uh, was on the liner on the liner seals. We don't use Vaseline, do we? Not sure, uh, because I don't work on Detroit. They do whatever Detroit calls for. I know on NTC's N14s, we would lube the block with a 50-50 mixture of STP and oil, and then we would use motor oil on the O-rings itself. But I know, I I thought Kat did the Vaseline as well. But I do remember one time installing something other than a Cummins, I, I was rebuilding something that we normally didn't do and it did call for Vaseline on the okay. Okay. Uh, liner O And we don't see that problem like we used to. That was a big problem rolling an O ring or cutting an O ring. Um, you rarely see that with O rings nowadays. And okay. it's pretty obvious too when he pressure tested it. Uh, if you got a cut O ring, it's going to leak down freeze probably without pressure in it. Yeah. Hmm. Whatever you do, get a set of detr- uh, connecting rods. And putting okay, yeah, I'll I'll get I'll get the original connecting rods that were designed to come with the engine, rather than the ones that I got now with the oil with the oil journal through them, uh, or the oil channel through them. I'll I'll get 
whatever rods came, uh, you know, was it came with, with the engine, engine originally. Right, what the engine serial number calls for. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I'll I'll pull the water pump off and see if it looks like something I can rebuild and and I uh, I mean well the water pumps no I don't I don't know if I pulled the water pump off yet or not uh, I pulled the air compressor off yet uh, already and and I was like I I don't uh, other than rolling that over and seeing if there's any damage to the bearings on the bottom of that I didn't know how to test it. Um, but I can, ch if it's a Bendix, uh, it's a, yeah, two flow 550. So I can maybe put a head gasket on that and see if, if, if pull it, pull it apart anyway, and see if the head gasket is an issue right. on that. Right. All right. So sounds like a plan. Now the first, Good luck the, to you. All right. The, uh, calls are piling up on us. We got to get caught up here. Let's go to Colorado. Anthony, welcome. How are we doing today? Um, I got a question about uh, wheel balancing and preference between balance speeds and Centromatics. Uh, flip a coin. They all work. I mean, Centromatics, Balance Masters, uh, the beads, Counteract beads, they all work. It, it really just depends. You know, the, the rings are pretty permanent. They'll outlast the truck sometimes. Um, the beads, you're going to put new beads in when you change tires, which isn't a big deal. Really just depends. I mean, all three of those products work just fine. Um, the other thing I wanted to, I guess this is probably for Bruce, been using the max mileage, love the stuff. It used to come in a Ziploc bag, which was really handy for uh, keeping it under the sleeper. And uh, I've been reusing my other one for a while now. I just, I know probably trying to get rid of waste and extra stuff, but uh, kind of miss them, just so you know. The, the, the Ziploc bag. All right, make a note of that, Pete. Okay. Who do? Awesome. So we'll see you guys on the 1st of April. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you so much. Let's go to Pennsylvania. John, welcome. Hey, guys. I was calling uh, about rear... I have an 07 W900, and I got a 2023 cutoff. I'm going to put on it, an airliner, and there, it's, uh, there's only like 80,000 miles on the cutoff. They're 285 gears. I want to switch them to 325s. Can you just switch the gear, or must you replace the whole differential? First off, why do you want to you're go to buying, 325? What was that? First question would be, why 325s? Because that's what I got, and that's what I, I mean, I, I know what you guys are going to say, but I like the 325. That's what I want to stick with. Why? Tell me, tell me why you I think just, that's a better gear. Because the way I run and the setup of the truck, that's what I have now, and I, I like it. I don't, I don't want to change what I like. Well, wait, wait a minute. If you knew there was a better way, you, you've experienced this setup and you like it, but what if there's a better way? What if there's a reason to have a different gear? And if you can give me a reason to have this gear, that's kind of what I'm asking. Because if I get the other gear and it ain't better, then I'm out the five grand I spent. Well, wait a minute. You and have a set of now, differentials. I want to Do, it. Don't you have a set of differentials right now that you just bought with 285s in it? Yeah, 285s, yep. Right. You already own them. Throw them in. I mean, we could tell you what will oh, happen. Yeah, this I is all just saying. physics. We could calculate all of this and tell you at this RPM, you're going to be running this speed. This is, But you could also, you already bought them. Why not try it? Well, I, I, I went online and did the calculators for them, and I thought I'm not going to be happy with that. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, I could that, try let's them, see, that's what if, I was asking I when them, I, don't work. I asked why, and you didn't tell me that before. You just said you just like them. Yeah. I just are, you over the, are, you, are you over the road, and where do you run? So probably 70% of the time I just run around local on the east side of PA, like maybe 180 miles a day, and then the other 30, 40, I run across 80 out to Ohio and back. Okay. Do you have a 13 or an 18 speed? I have the 18 speed. Okay, so you put the 285s in, and a lot of times instead of being in 18th gear, you're going to be in 17th. But when you're running local, you're going to be down in 16th, which is one-to-one, and you're really going to love that. Yeah. Now, if you were constantly over the road, I'd try to talk you into 247s, and that way you would always be in 16th gear. But with the 285s, if I had them, I'd try them, and you might have to adjust your speed a couple mile an hour to keep the truck in 16th gear whenever you're running local Pennsylvania, and it might turn out to be perfect for you. So to switch them, can I just change the gearing? Yeah, yes, you can. And I think with those housings, you may be able to put a 247 in it, but you'd have to talk to a person like Western Truck Parts. They're they're mirror mirrors, and I called a couple places, and they said they just swap out the whole differential and I, I, they said that to you, to you, spend the money and the time to change the gear, you ain't gonna save anything. You might just replace the whole differential instead of changing the pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, the pumpkin. I can. I thought you could take the pumpkin out and just change the actual gear itself in the pumpkin. You can sometimes. Well, you have to buy. You have to buy the ring and pinion, and then you have yeah. to have the ring and pinion set up. It's usually more economical to buy the pumpkin or what some people call the drop-in, and the ring and pinion's already set up on it. Yeah, if that's you what I'm asking. I'm to do that. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and they told me around 2700 for the front and around 2000 for the back. Does that sound right? That sounds exactly right. But okay. don't change it yet. Try what you have, and then, then call us, and let's talk about things. You have a boost gauge and a pyrometer and a tachometer? We can tell a lot by those three. Yeah, I, I've owned the truck since 07. I got it all set up the way I like it. I just... I'm, I'm, okay. I want to put new frame rails in it, and I'm going to change over to the airliner in the back. Okay. I like that. No, by all, by all means, try. I mean, you, you've, you've got your 325s, and put the 285s in, and let's see what happens. You don't okay. know until like, you try. Like, I usually run 70, 74, and that puts me right at 1,400, 14 and a half, 15. And if I if I lug it or run it down lower, like around twelve or thirteen, it's fine on the flat. But if I got it up fourteen, fifteen, when I come into a hill, man, it just goes. All right. So what happens if you're in sixteenth gear? It's going to go better. Yeah, but now, then you're not going to run the, uh, reverse gear. wheel. Okay. Right. Then reverse is geared real high. Well, Walmart trucks have two forty sevens in them, and look at their drivers. They're yeah. having no trouble backing up. Yeah. It used to do a lot of LTL in town, and it was constantly maneuvering back and around, and a lot of times I wished it was geared lower than it is now in reverse because you're constantly, like, trying to ride the clutch to get it get in the holes you got to go in. All right. Well, But that's okay. another issue. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go. I'm going to lose you, Kevin, for a half hour. I'll be back on the phone in a half hour. We're going right. into a dead zone. We might still be here. If we are, we'll see you then. Okay. All right. Let's I'll hang go on to, as long as I can. All right. Let's go to Nebraska. Grant, it's your turn. Hello. Sorry. A lot of more questions. 
I finished up listening to the, the guest you had from Shell, and she announced a, a 1030 T6. I currently run a 540 T6 in Nebraska, where it's really cold in the winter and really hot in the summer. Is one better than the other? Uh, yeah. Um, that first number is not all that important. I mean, any synthetic is going to give you really good cold weather starting, and that first number is only about cold starting. Once the oil comes up to temperature, that first number is meaningless. So it does tell us how cold could you go, but you're fine there. What we're really looking, the advantage comes when you go from the 40 weight to the 30 weight. And, and not just in starting or cold weather, but just overall performance and fuel economy. And the 30 weights, we've had them for several years now, and they're performing really well. Okay, because I'm, I'm a company driver, and I, I've listened to you guys since before I got this job, and he lets me, at the time, it was just T6 was 540. So I, I ran that because that's what I could find, and then she let me know there was 1030, so probably I'll probably switch to that since... I don't want to run the regular 1540 that they put in everything else, even though they're no, they, they, trucks. The best oils on the market right now are the the 1030 synthetics. Excellent. Um, I had I had another question, but Bruce left. Uh, I don't know if anybody else can help me find the difference between a PK and a BK Series 60 and a Prevo, because it smokes real bad and it sounds one way and then after like 30 seconds the sound changes and the smoke goes away so i don't know if that is what is going on or not bruce are you still there he he went into the dead zone for 30 minutes he said well i know i see him up on the board still that's why i was asking oh okay okay sorry he's not responding though i still see him up there pete any thoughts on this so with the lower compression piston it smoke more Generally, quarter the they smoked like an old big cat. It wasn't like there was a 30 second when it, it cleared up. I don't know if there's something going on with advanced PCM, if there's something going on there or not. Okay. Okay. That's my um, thought. I look for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then one of my guys insists on starting the, the guy I work with, well, he insists on starting the truck and then just revving it up to build air because he doesn't want to fix the air leak. Is there some place where I can show him documentation? Like I try to tell him, don't do that. Nobody starts a sprint by not warming up. Let the truck warm up and then drive. But he didn't want to listen to me. Is there like an engine manual or something that I can show him that it says that? Does anybody know? Well, I think in the... <clears throat> now, I, I know on the common side, you have access to that stuff more than in the Deesburg side. But in the... Um, Owner's manual, it tells you to not rev the engine up until X amount of time uh, idling. Gotcha. Yeah, these are, some, yeah. of the truck, some of the trucks are used, so the operator's manual for that engine, who knows where it is, but I can probably find it online. And this is your truck, and he's your driver? That route. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for the call. I have a feeling you're not going to convince somebody no matter how many times you show them that. Let's, uh... Yeah, I just fire Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a simple. I mean, it's, hey, you do this or I'm going to fire you. It, um, it, you don't have a stand. And I'm not sure how you make it to adulthood and, and not understand how common sense that is. Now, let me say this, too. 
My guess is that you would have a hard time ever proving how much life that took off the engine, if anything. I'm not saying it's a good practice. It's not. Hit the key, let it idle. It'll come down from a fast idle to a slow idle. Let it come up to temperature. It's not going to take that long anyway. But honestly, I, I bet we could claim that with today's manufacturing, how solid these things are, that, that it probably isn't going to matter in the big scheme of things, really. With the modern oils have improved, I mean, with the exception of a 25-degree day, yeah, minus 25-degree, yeah. but, it, but it's one of those things where you just don't do it. Just don't do it. I mean, right. it's just kind of... Right. But, it, but if you've got somebody that's going to push back and argue, I, I doubt showing them something in a manual is going to change their mind. No, probably not. All right, let's probably go not. to Wisconsin. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. I got a quick question about DEF, and then I, I'll, lead, I'll lead that into what I was going to talk about. Um, should DEF consumption be the same, whether it's hot or cold outside, whether you have a loaded trailer or an unloaded trailer, or you're going over hills or flat terrain? Should it, DEF usage generally be the same, or does the, do those conditions affect it? Anything that can affect fuel economy can affect DEF consumption, and then there are other factors that could affect it as well. So thinking that your DEF consumption is going to stay really consistent, it's kind of like thinking your fuel mileage is going to stay really consistent, and it's not. Every one of those factors could could impact it. Okay. Now, um, that's why I was going to ask this next question here. Um, I had a scan done by a shop, and the major error code that came up was uh, the NOx sensors, okay? So about a week, week and a half after that, um, there aren't very many shops, actually, that work on NOx sensors, and the shop that did the scan didn't work on NOx sensors. Um, but I finally found a shop when I was on my home time in, uh, in Wisconsin that actually did work on NOx sensors. So um, just... Because the code said they were bad, um, the, the, the mechanic actually said that uh, you should probably replace inner and the outer sensor uh, because if you they didn't have a way to test it to see if one, one is bad or the other one's good. So usually uh, they said just to replace both of them. So I had both of them replaced. Um, now, about three or four days after they've been replaced, it seems as though... I'm still using the same amount of DEF after I had the NOx sensors replaced and the code is gone. So why would that, wouldn't, if you had a bad NOx sensor, you, wouldn't you be using more DEF because it wouldn't be able to tell the computer how much DEF to shoot into the exhaust? Well, I mean, it depends on what bad means. I mean, that bad, bad can mean a whole lot of things. Like, for instance, you can have a knock sensor with an internal heater failure that gives you the correct reading, but the troubleshooting will say it's malfunctioning and you need to replace it. So is there any, okay, next question. Is there any type of adjustment that they should have done to tell the computer uh, to, to shoot the right amount of DEF into the exhaust? Is there anything that they could have done, or is it just replacing the sensors and then moving on from there, and then that's as far as it goes? Yeah, there's no calibrations or trims or anything. It's just replace the sensor. Okay. 
So they should then recalculate themselves. Yeah, right? I mean, they're, that, yeah, so you have to think of it sort of like, oh, well, first, what engine is it? A D13, 2017 Volvo. Okay, so I just looked into this, so you kind of have to think about it like, um, it's like making the ECM thinks of it like making a cake and you have all these different ingredients and it needs to know how much of each to put in. So it takes all of its inputs like the NOx input, the NOx outlet input, the ambient air temperature, the fueling, the torque request, all these things. It takes it all together and then sees how much EGR I need to use, how much depth I need to inject. Um, do I need to bring the temperature up? So all of those things sort of matter. It's not just one variable means the most. It's, a combination of everything. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm still a little, I, I still, I'm trying to understand this DEF system a little better. And you guys are helping me out. I heard you uh, mention Knox sensors before. I think it was last week even. And uh, I was like, well, okay, let me get my problem fixed and see if that solves the problem. Well, I don't think it solved the problem. So I mean, now I'm scratching my head, figuring, trying to figure out why I'm still using the same amount of DEF that I was before I had, uh, or after I had the sensors replaced. I don't know. The, the easiest way to think about DEF consumption and, and knocked output is the, the end goal for the after treatment in the ECM is I want the NOx output to be at this number. And there are multiple ways I can get there. Do I have to turn the EGR up? Do I have to turn the DEF up? Do I have to back the fueling off, the timing, et cetera? It has all these tools to do that. Its ultimate end goal is to get the correct output number. And if it needs to DEF more, it'll do that. So, and if it, if it doesn't need to, it'll DEF less. So if you're using a lot of DEF, then the reason probably is because either the engine is A, making more knocks than normal, or B, uh, you, you have some sort of measurement problem. But if you have both the sensors replaced, you most likely are getting a good measurement. for. So for some reason, your engine's making more knocks than it should or than what it used to, if that's what your issue so is. So is, is that something that I should look into? Is that something that could actually uh, be modified? <laughs> or would that um, take a lot of money to do? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's... That's bypassing the, the emission system because you're asking it to make oh. more emissions than it used oh, to. Um, so it, was it used to be higher, and then you had all these issues, and now your DEF consumption is a lot more? Is that kind of what the issue is? It, no, it's the, the, my DEF consumption never changed after I had these sensors replaced, both of the sensors replaced. It's the same. It, right. It's, I, I, I filled it up. I filled my DEF up. Um, when I was uh, fueling up in Wisconsin, and I put five and a half gallons, I topped it off, topped the DEF off. I think I have a 15-gallon tank, pretty sure. Um, so I had a 950-mile load, and I w it was pretty cold over there, and I had a lot. I had like 44,000 pounds, and I was going over hilly terrain. And the next time I filled my DEF tank up, I put eight and a half gallons into it after I drove 950 miles. So that seems like it's almost using a gallon, you know, per hundred miles, which I think is a little excessive. Yeah, 100 miles per gallon is is very excessive. Uh, you should probably be yeah. between 80 and 200 mark. So if you're still using yeah. that much, it's not a measurement problem. It's most likely some other reason why it, it's making so much knocks, hmm. or 
the other thing is I just thought of is the the popular thing with the DDs is the SCR seems to go bad and it just can't convert it. So it's spraying deafen and not seeing the NOx get converted to oxygen and nitrogen. So you might have an issue there. It could be a boost leak. Mm. You know, anything that could cause the emissions to be worse can cause it to use more death fluid. Boost leak, a bad overhead, a bad injector, uh, coolant leaking from the EGR valve getting into the engine can affect it. So there are a lot of things that can affect death consumption. So it would, if I really wanted somebody to kind of look into this, it might cost a lot of money, right? That's what I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it might cost a lot of money, it might not. I mean, but it, at 100, 100 uh, what was I going to say, miles per gallon on def, I feel like at that point you're going to start to get some buildup in there. Uh, it's not going to fully vaporize. It's, you're going to get crystallization and buildup, and then you're going to have a world of problems. So you're better off to spend the diagnostic time to figure out why your def mileage is so bad than just to let it go. If if you were telling me I'm at like 170 or 165, I'd be like, eh, you know, it's bad, but it's not terrible. But yeah, 100 miles per gallon, you're probably going to, or not probably, you may start to experience some buildup and then that'll lead to even more problems. So, I mean, should I just bring it to a dealer and let, let them see if they can solve it? Or uh, the best I don't way know, that... like, I don't know for like any, like, uh, just shop anywhere, you know, would actually know what I'm talking about, but I'm sure the dealers, dealerships, you know, have been through this type of problem before. The, the best way I've found as a shop to fix it is uh, you either put it on a dyno or you take it for a fairly decent half hour hour ride, come back, measure the depth before and after, you know, and then figure out what your depth mileage is before, right? Let's say it's 100 miles per gallon before the fix. If they tell you, oh, we were put a new depth pump on it or we replaced a depth injector, take it out for another road test, a half hour, hour, and then tell me what the depth mileage is. If it's still 100, they didn't fix it. It's one of those things that it's, it's fairly easy to know if you fix it or not. It's like when somebody comes in for low power. If I put on the dyno, it makes 200 horsepower. I'm like, okay, that's a problem. And then we fix it and it makes 500 like it's supposed to. Okay, we fixed it. Fuel mileage is one of those things that's a little bit difficult. But if you take it uh, for the same test drive, def mileage is kind of a little bit easier than fuel mileage as far as, as getting the same number back to back. Hmm. Okay. Well, something to look into in the future then. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the uh, information. You're welcome. Yeah. Let's go to Vero Beach. John, welcome. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm looking at a Prevost, Kevin. Okay. I'm wondering about a V92 comparison to a Series 60s um, uh, engine. Don't even attempt don't. to compare them. The only thing okay. that is even remotely similar is the name. Right. Well, I knew one's two-cycle, the other's four-cycle. I just I have an opportunity for a 94 or 96 Prevost, and I know we used to run the the AV92s, uh, the two cycles, and the old buses. Uh, I worked for a bus company in Pennsylvania. And just was, I know we used to pull them out and re have them rebuilt there and put them back in, and they were always leaking. And, uh, I'm just wondering what you guys thought. Don't so, even think about the two cycle or, or I, definitely go with the Series 60. 
It's not that I wouldn't consider that two cycle. I, yeah, we make fun of them all the time. My first engine was a six V ninety two. We make fun of them all the time. They leak yeah. oil like crazy. You know, you rebuild them at yeah. two hundred and fifty thousand miles. But when we're talking about an RV, very very different than talking about a vehicle that that runs our business and generates revenue. And um, I, I would right. not have a problem if I found the right deal on an older Prevo in good shape and I could see history and I, it wouldn't completely scare me away. How many miles are you going to put on this thing a year? hundred, right. Uh, probably 30,000 if that, but I mean, the, 30. the bus is a 90. What do you plan well, on doing with I'm this? Lucky. Well, just driving up back and forth around, you know, I'm hoping to put Maybe not that much. I mean, that's probably an overstatement, I guess. Uh, yeah, that um, that was my point. I, I the, use my RV. The, bu- the bus only, yeah, the bus only has one hundred fifty thousand on it, and it's a ninety four. And and that's that's the point. These things don't get a lot of miles put on them. So even if we look at an engine that typically needs rebuild at two fifty or three hundred, you're never going to get there anyway. Yeah. I mean, I use my RV more than most people ever do, and 10,000 miles is a big year for me. Yeah, yeah. How about with it setting as long as it has? Am I better off with the Series 60s? Because it only has 115,000 miles, and it's a 97, I think it is. First one's a 94 with the 8V. So, the second one's so a, if, uh, if We're already talking about... Miles vehicles that have been sitting for over 20 plus years it may be not sitting but right. they're they're that old right. the difference between a 94 yeah. and a 96 not that big of a deal well just the one's two cycle and the other one's four uh, well we that we were talking about wise, that then that's, I, that's what we were talking about then you well, switched and said well has it been sitting too long and my no, no, point no, is well, the, the comparison asking, is they're both that old right okay i just didn't know what with the Series 60, the, the two-cycle engine in it, was there more? Would there be more problematic than a not Series that 60? Would be not that I'm aware of. And honestly, I, I've bought vehicles that have sat for a long time, and I really don't find that there's a lot of problems with them. Right, right. Ten four. Well, that was my major concern. Was I just I was worried about the two-cycle and and uh, like I said, just I, which, we. Which, if we were talking about a commercial vehicle to make money with, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. The answer would be, hell yeah. no, don't buy a two-stroke Detroit. We're talking about an RV. That engine performed really well in those. They perform really well as tour buses when they put you know a million miles on them. Right. Um, I, like I said, as an RV, there's nothing about either one of these that would scare me away. I would pursue both of them. And I might potentially right. buy either one. There, there's no clear winner here just because of the two different engines. Okay. I, uh, that's what my biggest concern was. I was just a little bit now, scared of the two-cycle. I, one I thing I fuel, fuel economy. One thing I might check on, I, forget fuel economy. Don't don't even think about oh, it. Again, you're, you're, not pu- <laughs> you're not putting Five enough miles, miles on these to worry about fuel yeah. economy. Um, like I, yeah. you know, I'm the guy that talks about fuel economy and has for 30 years, and my coach yeah. still gets about five and a half. Right. I'm not going to spend right. any money to make it better either, and I'm not going to slow down most right. of the time because usually when I'm on the road, I got to make time. But but right. fuel mileage isn't a factor for me. I didn't buy the coach to get good fuel right. mileage. No. 
Okay, well, I'm just looking at the obvious, and I knew if I didn't ask now, why. One, was... one thing I might check on as part of making this decision is, can I get parts for that thing? <laughs> okay. I, I don't know the answer to that. I would find a shop that, that would could order Detroit parts for you and ask them if they have any part uh, availability issues. Right, right, and four. Okay, well, I appreciate your knowledge. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, looks like we got Bruce back. Bruce, are you back I with am. us? I am. All right. We're going to go to, well, perfect timing, too, because the next call, Mark says he wants to talk to you. Mark, welcome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I thought I was going to have to make up something with Bruce being gone, but he's back. So I was, I was sitting here and I called earlier and I thought, well, I really don't have anything to talk about, but then. Somebody started talking about technicians and bad maintenance or something like that. And it got me to thinking about yesterday. Yesterday, my daughter jumped into the automotive business, Bruce, and she just, she's a service writer for a dealership out in Bertram. After spending like 15 or 16 years working for CVS and Walgreens, I kept telling her, I said, you need to become a service writer and get in the car business or, or some kind of maintenance business or whatever. And, and she took the plunge, and she's yesterday was her first job as a sir, beginning to be a service writer for a Dodge dealership. So I thought you'd find that interesting, Bruce, because yeah, you know, boy, that is. As a, yeah, and, and she's really excited about it. She's like, she she told me yesterday. She goes, I found after all these years, this is the first time I've actually had a legitimate lunch break. So <laughs> I also enjoyed your pictures from Hawaii. So that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we went out there. Uh, I found some things I wanted to climb. I'll have to go back. Didn't bring any gear and all like that. But yeah, we, I took her out. She'd never been out there, so yeah, you know, it didn't cost anything to fly out there. So I just took five days off from work and I asked her back in early late November. I said, "You want to go to Hawaii for a couple of days?" And she's like, "Yes." And so she got off and. Like the day before, she had an interview with this dealership, and, and with two days, and he offered her the job. Now, the reason they did all the changes is because they let them, they let the whole dealership and the and the shop go to complete shit, and uh, so she's going to have to. I, I said, well, the reason they hired you is they believed you could help them turn their their business around. And I said, so when I said whenever you so once you get experience, you can go to a high end dealership and, and make a killing. She's gonna make more money now than she's ever made in her life. So, wow. uh, but uh, and they they have a lot of diesels there. So I thought I told her I said one day I'm gonna stop by and say hello. And I thought I might try to tell the people in the shop if they have problems with their diesels about your catalyst i was thinking of that on the phone so i don't know if they'll listen to me people don't people don't generally listen when you try to tell them something you, you've learned yeah, or whatever so but uh, i'm getting i'm getting to the point where i'll explain something twice and, and if i still get a spot i just shut <laughs> yeah you gotta you know people do uh People have to want to learn and want to be able to change. It's like that person that was on, I think you were out of service, but they were talking to this guy about, you know, gears, and Kevin asked him why, but he really dodged the question. But it's like the guy didn't want to change because he's got a belief that that if you if, if you don't adapt and change in business, then you're not going to succeed. You have to change. I mean, I've done it eight times, so it's like I, I welcome change. If there's a better way to do something, then then I'm all ears. I I don't know everything about any of this crap. That's why I'm. That's why I became friends with you all. So to learn from you all. So because y'all know more about this than I'll ever know. So 
and and so that's you know because I, I was sitting there having buying, well, I bought you lunch that day in Nashville and I was talking about my kid. You said you had a kid that lives out in the Austin area, so yeah. Next time you come to the Austin area, let me know and I'll ride out there and we'll get some barbecue or something. All right, sounds so, good. But uh, anyway, that's all I really had. I just thought I'd share that story with you. And, and I understand somebody called a couple of weeks ago and wanted to go climb mountains. So that's what Paul told me anyway. So I don't, right. I don't know who that was. I didn't hear it. I was probably loading cars. So anyway. All right. All right. Okay. Well, y'all have a good day. Take care. Let's go to Wisconsin. Brad, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. I just have a couple questions about the fuelborne catalyst. I also enjoy those plastic bags, I guess you could say, because I reuse them for miscellaneous things. They're heavy-duty. All right. Well, that's interesting. We'll have to see if we can't get those back. That would be good. But on the other hand, with that, I found an O-ring-style syringe. I think they come from Walmart. They're smaller, and those work considerably better than the other syringes because the rubber doesn't I've noticed that it deteriorates from being used on the fuel catalyst yeah if you could get me a part number or something I'd like I'll stop it at uh, you say Walgreens or Walmart Walmart I'll stop and get some and try them um, they're pre-measured they're clear tube with an orange top on them but yeah, I think this is the wife got it from Walmart. Okay. And try to get me a number, okay? I will do that. Okay. All right. All right. Let's head off to Illinois this time. Dale, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? I just had a couple quick a quick question on a fuel mileage too. Um, on a 2020 Western Star 4700 with a DD13 in it. Um, what type of results on a fuel mileage tune would I uh, uh, see on some versus your strength power uh, tune? Um, we typically see uh, two tenths to a half with the economy one, and the more performance based one, we either see probably zero to the two degree. Um, it's probably what I see most of the time. Obviously, there's some people that don't see anything or they lose fuel mileage, but that's kind of the general consensus. But I also don't get a lot of feedback back. So, and you, and you said on a fuel fuel tune, at the most we'd be looking at a half mile to gallon better. Yeah, that's probably the best that I've heard. Okay, and where do you typically set that at? Because right now I'm at 460 horses, 1,600 foot pounds of torque. Um, probably for you, you're probably going to be around 530 or so, and probably around 1,700 or 1,800 foot-pounds of torque. Okay. Well, I notice any difference as far as uh, on, on my boost, because at 55, I run about uh, 8 to 10 on level ground, and then uh, when I'm in a hard pole loaded, uh, it's right around the 20, 25-ish area. Um, those you'll, see, down. you'll see an increase in boost at full load. Uh, around cruising, you're probably going to see about the same boost. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, and do you guys know, um, can I get a fleet air filter for that DD-13? 
I know when I checked probably a couple years ago um, with you guys, at that time, uh, we couldn't get one. Do you know, do they make one uh, for that engine now? So they've added a bunch of filters. If you call our parts department with your OEM part number, they can tell you if we have one or not. Okay. Well, guys, that's all I have for you. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. Let's go to Pennsylvania. John, welcome. Hey, guys. I want to pick your brains for some information because I got something interesting that started happening with me uh, with this uh, Peterbilt uh, 2019 MX-13. I was up in Connecticut, and I started getting some codes, and I got a code reader, and it was throwing out some codes that the actuator and the turbo was messing up, but I was not feeling any, uh, you know, lack of performance. And then, you know, I had to go over to uh, Wisconsin, and while I was sitting there waiting to deliver, I was going back to the codes, too, and I was getting codes for the EGR, um, you know, actuator. It was being stuck, uh, shut, um, you know, and also I was getting um, codes for the actuator through the, the BGT turbocharger, and then I was also getting codes for the, the BRAT, the back pressure valve actuator and it was you know and i was able to see live data too i could see that the egr was shut and it gives you a little description they said it might be stuck by due to ice and i don't know how they would think ice but but it was stuck shut and uh so um so the other day i had to go went down to atlanta and um i, w- I looked at my codes again and i think that my egr was opening up to i said to go up to 99 percent 50 40 so it's working now but i'm still getting these codes and i'm just kind of wondering what what you what y'all have um well it because one of the codes was just egr disabled right it, it was just saying it was stuck shut you know it was basically what it was saying okay. how many miles were on this engine um, I'm running at uh, 390. Are you running the max mileage catalyst? I started using it about a month ago. Hmm. Why did you wait so long? Because uh, I, I lost y'all. I couldn't. Y- y'all ran away from me. And then one day I just happened to hear somebody talking about it, and that's how I found the app and um, started listening. Hmm. Okay. We didn't run away. <laughs> <laughs> Not far enough. <laughs> I think I think if you uh, you have to give it 90 days to clearing that truck up. But in the meantime, if you can continue How to operate it, you're going to see some of these codes go away with using the catalyst. But if it's too carboned up, Leroy, is it going to fix it? Um, well, it, it's just hard to say because I don't know exactly what the codes are. I mean, if it's mechanically seized, then that's one thing. But if you're getting VGT issues, then you're going to get EGR codes because the VGT is what drives the EGR. Um, And especially if you're seeing it go to 99%, that usually tells me that it's not seeing enough of a flow number, so it's going to keep trying to open the valve more and more and more. Now, that can be either because the valve doesn't want to open or that's because it's not building enough back pressure because of the VGT issue. It could be a lot of different things. It would be, 
it would be best if we could just get it here and look at it. It's kind of hard to tell from where I'm sitting. Of course. Uh, it was a shot in the dark because I don't think everything's going bad. I just think it's just one thing is um, making everything a domino effect. Um, you know, so I got yeah, to deliver up in, in Elwood, uh, Pennsylvania, and, uh, and uh, I don't deliver until 10 in the morning. And I was just thinking if I could run by there. Uh, how would that work out, you know, on getting in the shop on a short notice like that? Um, you'd have to call and get a hold of Eric. He does all the scheduling and stuff. I know I'm always pretty busy, but I don't know how busy everybody else is. So, yeah, you'd have you're, to you're, the you're going to Elwood City tomorrow? Yes, I deliver at 10 in, in the morning. Okay. And then the tomorrow's Wednesday. Can we have you for Thursday? Well, I have a uh, another load, but uh, as of this morning, there was a problem with it, and I haven't got no update on it. But Thursday, it's plausible. Okay. All right. When you get off this phone, call our, our number and ask for Eric and tell him that Bruce said to squeeze me in. Yes, sir. I appreciate right. the VIP treatment. Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Washington. Art, welcome to the program. My uh, my voice is about to give out here. That's why I'm not talking much. Art, go ahead. Yes, but I have two quick questions on the uh, Mac Catalyst. Uh, the first, most important one is I had a little spill in my personal rig while transporting it. What is the best way to neutralize it? I've sh- shampooed it out, and I've used ozone to try and eliminate the odor, but I can't seem to get it uh, completely out. Did you, is it on carpet? Is it on carpet? It is on carpet. It is on carpet. Hmm. Actually, it's both on carpet and on the rubber mat. That's the first time we've had that question. I mean, I've spilled it, but I just uh, spray uh, simple green or something like that on it. I use pine salt when I'm cleaning stuff. I use pine salt, simple green, and Murphy's oil soap. Those are my three that I go to. Okay. Yeah, so I was trying to figure out because with the ozone usually kills all kinds of odor, and I used a couple of different detergents with the shampooer, but still can't get it out. But I'll yeah. try those. Uh, okay. The follow-up to that yeah. is uh, I, I noticed that you guys have talked about using it in uh, gasoline. Uh, yes. Is, is there a benefit to it, uh, or, or is it strictly formulated for the diesel but has positives for gasoline? No, it works great in gasoline. What What gasoline engines do you have? Uh, just my personal vehicles. Uh, I have a, a what, Honda minivan and, you know, stuff like that. A motorhome. What like year's that, the minivan? Engine. What year's the uh, minivan? 08. 08. Uh, yeah, by all means, put it in there. One cc per gallon. Do you have chainsaws, snow blowers, uh, lawn tractors? I do. What one cc per gallon and all those? You'll notice quite a difference in uh, in the response and especially in a chainsaw how much better it cuts and accelerates leaf blowers love it so uh, is it mid-60s. still doing just so is it still just lowering the, the the temperature of the combustion in the gasoline or i you know i don't know what it does but it sure does make gasoline responsive okay you know all gasoline right. well, I pretty that's all I had. yeah if you think back in the 50s and 60s when you were pouring gasoline into a lawnmower, you could see the, the vapors coming out. And uh, heck, now you hardly even smell it when you pour it, let alone to see vapors. 
uh, the catalyst right. really makes it good gasoline again. You know, gasoline and diesel fuel today have been uh, robbed of so many good ingredients. If you want your vehicles and your machinery to run at their best, you you have to take it upon yourself to make our fuel better. Okay. So I guess another quick follow-up to that is would you recommend adding anything else other than the, than the uh, catalyst and maybe a fuel injector cleaner every now and then to improve that even further? Or uh, On that 2008 Honda, I would probably put some Lucas uh, injector cleaner in there, yes. We're going to be coming out with uh, an injector cleaner also that, that's made to work in conjunction with the max mileage, so... But, yeah, by all means, try it. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. All right. Thanks for the call. <coughs> Let's go to Illinois. Scott, welcome. Hold on one second. I'm, uh, I might be fading fast here. Scott, welcome. Oh, we just lost that call. What just happened? What happened to you, Kevin? Bruce, um, last Tuesday... Uh, I woke up in the morning about four in the morning and I was feeling off. I just didn't feel right. And I thought, well, I'll just go back to bed. I got up just in time to start this show last Tuesday and I finally got COVID and I've been sick ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got are off. You over, the, are you doing about six? You're doing about 6,000 milligram of a good vitamin C every day? Uh, you know, it, I, I, my stomach will not handle that much vitamin C unless I could do it um, with an injection. But I've been doing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Wow. They both work. I, well, I mean, I, I'm assuming something. This is the sickest I can remember being for the longest. I mean, I still do not feel good in it's seven days. Wow. I was... Okay. After I got off this show last week, I went straight back to bed and probably really didn't get out of bed at all till Friday. What Wolfson tell you to do? Uh, same basic stuff. Ivermectin. I, I know okay. what I did. I, I really tired and pushed too far and my HRV and all my numbers are down and I, I was around a lot of sick people. Everybody here seems to have something, so... Uh, today is the first day that I feel like I might actually do some work today. Okay. All right. Let's uh, okay. let's grab this final call here. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome. What's what's up, Kevin? I just got this is for Bruce. Uh, two things. Definitely bring the bag back for the little bottle because that thing was I bought mine and. I just now had to change the bag out when I put it into my motorcycles. I used that little bottle for my motorcycle. But as far as for the uh, syringe, Bruce, I went to like a Dollar General, or I forget where what it was, one of those dollar stores, and they have those turkey bases that you screw the tip on, you know, so you can inject it into turkeys and stuff. I've been using the same syringe. I bought my pickup truck in 2021, and I have the same syringe I use, and it doesn't leak or anything, so... Wow, cheap. Turkey? Like it's a dollar store. Yeah, it's like it's not a turkey base. It's it. They call it turkey base, but it's a syringe, and it's got like you know the end of it's cut so you can stick it under the skin and squirt you know whatever flavorings or whatever you want in there. And that syringe is what I. That's what I use. I just dip it in a mason jar, draw it up. I mean, I don't use this the, the point part on it. You know, I just I, I twisted that off the stick part. But I've been using the same syringe, and it doesn't leak for almost three years. 
Well, like a dollar. Wow, okay. So, I don't know. Well, I will I, stop I, at I Dollar can, General. See, yeah. Yeah, I can see, but you know what? You'll see what you'll, you'll show a picture of turkey and has an end on there. You can you know, like a like it looks like a big needle is what it is, like a ten gauge or whatever. I don't know what the hell big it is, but I, well, I've been I, using the same one for over three years. I appreciate that. That's great. Uh, all right, all right, later, guys. All right, I guess we do have another call. We're gonna go to Missouri, Kevin. Welcome. Hey guys, hey Kevin. Uh, just a little quick. Quick uh, side note, uh, my wife's name is also Lisa, so I got, you got Kevin and Lisa here in Missouri as well. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, uh, Bruce, this is more of a, I've got a testimonial about the uh, Catalyst I want to call in. Uh, I've actually been listening to you for uh, years ago on Sirius XM when you were there. You did a, you did a show on, like, hot shot trucking. I, I don't drive a big rig. I drive a, uh, I drive a pickup. I do hot shot, but... I apply all of your same techniques and everything to to what I do, just on a smaller scale. And Bruce, I've I I almost wish I had not been using the catalyst since I bought the truck, so I could see what it did before. But uh, I've got a a one ton Ford, and I just run the run the tar out of it. Uh, I've got over two hundred thousand miles on it. Been using the catalyst since I bought it, and. The cleanest part on my truck is the tailpipes. And that's awesome. Uh, that's it, it is. It is. It is amazing. Uh, it. Uh, I mean, you could take a. You could uh, take a white a white glove and uh, and and you know, there's there's uh, it's just amazing. And as I say, I wish I I wish I knew. I'm glad that I've used it uh, in this. Uh, it's, it's, of course, it's got the the, the Power Stroke diesel and and uh, that, and uh, it just performs amazing. Um, these Fords, though, uh, at least my model, it does not show when it when it does a region like the Rams. So I don't know how often you know it's or how not so often or whatever. But I know that my def consumption is um, is is very minimal. Uh, in fact, uh, in 2022, I was off, uh, the, the, for a while. I went nine months without having to put death in this truck because I wasn't, uh, I, was, I was driving it, but I wasn't hauling anything for nine months. And for nine months, wow. I did not have to put any death in this truck. And, uh, uh so I just been, yeah. When I leave in my 2016 Ram, own a 27 foot box trailer going to Ogden, Utah and back, I would use two and a half gallon of DEF. And now with right. the catalyst, I'm using about a gallon. So it's cutting me at least 50% in the pickup. In fact, I, I took the pickup back to Dodge and Silverthorne, and I said, I, I'm using way too much depth. This was before the, we had catalysts. And and they yeah. said, well, you're always throwing that trailer. What do you expect? And I said, well, I don't expect to, be, to, to go to Ogden, Utah and back to use two and a half gallons from uh, central Colorado. But uh, so the catalyst made quite a difference in my Ram. Well, I uh, no, there have been a lot of people calling about the uh, catalyst and that. Well, I'm going to jump on here. I just I listen to you guys religiously and uh like I said, I don't uh, I don't drive a big big brig, but I still apply all the same rules and principles to what I do. And man, I am I am uh, just uh, just amazed uh, 
knock on knock on some cheap plastic or something in this truck here. I've not had any any trouble, and like I said, I've got over two hundred thousand, and uh, and just plan on just plan on keep running it, you know. And and uh, I I truly believe that that has. Uh, I've got so many guys I talk to. Oh, you need to delete that thing. I'm like, why? It runs perfectly. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. There was a guy from the eastern part of Ohio, I'm going to say around Youngstown, and he had a fleet of pickup trucks delivering Amish buildings. And he basically was going to go bankrupt. And he got on the catalyst back whenever we started to market it in 2019. He said it basically kept him out of bankruptcy because all seven of the pickup trucks, and he had a a version of Rams and Fords and Chevys, I think, and he said it fixed them all. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I've I've gotten a few people turned on to it, and uh, you know, a lot of people when I tell them, you know, I I just buy a gallon at a time. That's that's all I I really need. And they're like, oh, you pay that much? I'm like, yeah, but look what you're paying when your truck's in the shop. I mean, to me, that's to me, it's it's a no brainer. It's it's just uh, it's cheap insurance. I the way I see it. You know, on a semi-truck, we say it's a penny a mile to use it, but it saves you five or six cents a mile. I don't have that figures right. for a pickup truck, but look what it It's a right. 500% return on investment on a semi-truck. Exactly, exactly. So, well, that that's all I had, guys. I just uh, listen all the time. I appreciate all of your, your knowledge, and um, I just wanted to kind of give a give a quick uh, catalyst testimonial from a from a hot shotter's perspective perfect oh we appreciate that call. thank you uh the calls just keep coming today so i guess we'll just keep taking them let's go to illinois scott welcome yes i uh, dropped my call earlier i called and i heard you say scott and then i dropped my call i, I remember um, yes uh i'm laying under my truck working on it uh this might be a question for actually any of you, Peter Leroy, maybe more off, more so. But um, jumped in my truck. I, I I haul gravel, and I'm doing a driveway right now. Dumped half my load because it's I don't have enough room to dump the whole load. So I shut my truck off, spread the rock, got back in my truck to start it. It turned over, and it just like you disconnected the battery. And cleaned all my batteries. Everything's good, clean. And I had a uh, circuit that was tripped so i punched the circuit and then i got all my lights back all my gauges work but it won't turn over and if i hold the key in the start position for three to four seconds it kicks the circuit again and i've traced all my wires down i can't find where it's grounded anywhere and i got my thoughts but i'd like to get your guys' thoughts if there's something i'm overlooking or is there something that you think in that battery that's had just what, went. What, what's the most important thing we need to know that you didn't tell us? What year and what motor kind of truck and what yeah. engine? Yeah, it's a 14 International with an ISX. Okay. And then you say it just it does crank, or it cranks for a little bit, then it, it stops. It don't, well, it did. It turned, it turned over like it was going to start, but then it just, it just like you blew the fuse. You know how you just cuts the circuit. Yeah. And it hasn't turned over. It hasn't turned over since. It didn't start when it done that. It turned over like it was going to start. Never did start. Uh, and it just it's just like the blow diffuse. Well, the circuit broke. You know, but I keep resetting it, and it, it won't turn over, even before it kicks. I mean, the breaker 
kicks. Which breaker does it keep blowing? It's the one up behind in the glove box there. It's got the reset on it. Uh, do you know the name of it? or? Uh, oh, I only can take a quick look. It's the narrow plug-in style. It's not the square ones, the one-inch square ones. I don't know what... Uh, it's 20 amp. It's It's, I don't know. Quarter inch thick, inch wide, and inch and a half long. It's got all the buttons. You can different color coded on amperage. I don't know what. I guess I don't know what uh, what your question. Other than that, uh, we're, okay. So when it when the circuit breaks and the breaker trips, do you lose cab power? Like you don't have any dash lights yeah, or any it, other? Yeah, it all all the gauges quit working when it kicks. And it just feels like you have no power inside the cab. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what would be drawing so much current from your cab that would kick the cab out. I, I don't know what circuit. Well, it's, it's the breaker that goes to the starter, but it kicks my gauges out. Yeah, and I don't On the think dash. that those are typically tied together. Usually the starter. Yeah, I thought that was like, kind of odd, too, but when I reset it, they all work. Yeah, because you're going to get your, like, main, like, power for your starter directly from the battery. It's not going to go through the cab or anything. The only thing it would get from the cab would be, like, a starter relay or something. You're not going to power the starter directly from the cab. Unless you're having some sort of, like, low-voltage disconnect issue or something like that. Is your battery a little bit low, or...? Um. I don't believe so. They've been working, hadn't showed any hint of ever being low. It fired right up this morning in 20-degree weather. And uh, like I say, it, it wheeled right over just like it always does, and it just quit like you, you know. Have you tried just uh, resetting it, turn the key on, and then just jumping the starter to see if it starts? I haven't jumped. I can't hardly. It's hard to even get back to the starter. And But I'm on, you know, I'm not, I'm not home. I've got enough tools with me to take the batteries apart, clean them, and, I got a wrench where I just snugging up the starter, you know, the the main positive to the starter was slightly loose, but I had to really put some torque. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't loose, but I did, was able to turn the nut. But other than that. The only other thing I can think of is sort of like starter overheat circuit or something like that. Um, uh-huh. that but yeah, I mean, if it were me in that situation, I would try to jump it to see if I can't get it to at least go, and then that way you can save yourself tow bill to get somewhere safe. Right. Yeah. If it, okay. if it fired up, you the starter and it fired up, that would, <clears throat> you know, the batteries are okay, obviously, because you've got to up voltage here, and that would maybe indicate that there's problems inside the cab with the wiring somewhere. Yeah. Um, narrow. We don't know. Is it battery? Is it starter? Is it wiring? Yeah. I think the main thing is just to get it somewhere where you can work on it. It could be hard to do on the side of the road or wherever you are. So. Well, I'm in. I would, I'm in. Some, I'm in somebody's driveway, laying on the wet yeah. ground. Yeah. Yeah, that would stink. So. Um, yeah. Just reset it. Key on. Wait for all your gauges to sweep and everything, and then uh, try to jump it. Okay. Is it, yeah, is this I, a, a short hood dropping the starters way back in? Yes. It, well, it's a 9900, but the starter is up underneath. It's it's it is underneath the cab. Make sure it's in behind, behind, in behind the, laying underneath it. 
Yeah. We have an owner-operator. He was jumping his starter, and his truck ran over him. So, Right. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty careful about that stuff. But I didn't know if there was something that else that's there that I'm not seeing. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the newest I, truck I've ever owned. But. Nothing, nothing real obvious. I mean, for it to not crank, I mean, there's only a few things that will make it not crank. Um, right. So... Yeah, I don't know if there's a, and I'm not even seeing the solenoid anywhere on this thing. It's got to be here somewhere. I'm just not seeing it. And I don't know yeah. if you can jump where, jump the solenoid or what, you know, if I find where, it. Where are you? I'm in Illinois. North, central, south? Uh, uh, central. Yep, I'm, I'm west of Peoria, about 45 minutes. Okay. Hmm. I yeah, I, I knew somebody there that could help. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a shop. All the shops that I know of are all within 45 minutes to an hour from here, and half of them I don't trust. Um, but um, okay. yeah, yep, yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating. But I, I just uh, and I hate to bother you guys. I just I, I was just curious if I might be missing something. Um, no, nothing obvious. I mean, yeah. Battery terminal, battery terminals are all clean. Yep, I took them all. I took, yep, I took everything, everything apart, and I was cleaning batteries when I was listening to you guys on the radio. I was like, you know what? Maybe I ought to call you. But I always listen to you. I got my alarm set for ten o'clock every day, every Tuesday. So, (laughs) thank you. Yep. Okay. Well, okay, I'll. uh, and I guess it is. Do you know if this has a solenoid on it? I, I can't seem to find one, but yeah, is there a, a sort of all night weather? That's what it, I thought. I just uh, if I could just jump it at the solenoid, and that, that might tell me something too. But I I can't seem to find the solenoid. I'm overlooking it, or you know, and then all trucks are probably different. Yeah, I mean some do, some don't. Yeah, it must be in the firewall or international. Yeah. I I bet that all the solenoids on trucks were in a starter. I've seen it both ways. I can't remember on which ones or which, but usually I don't see a lot of no start problems, so Yeah, yeah the truck's been great other than, you know, now. So <laughs> that it's got four hundred and eighty thousand miles on it now, so something's bound to happen. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll Thanks. keep trace. I'll keep tracing my wires and see what I can come up. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yep. Let's go to. <clears throat> um, hey, Bruce. Yes. Um, seems to me like you had a couple questions or comments for uh, Dr. Jane today, didn't you? Hey there, Bruce. This is Jane. Hi, Jane. Um, no, no, I didn't have oh. have anything other than. <laughs> Uh, no, two, I made the no. executive decision to, to step in and, and try to help the gentleman who had the spill in his passenger vehicle. Yeah, there we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, and a couple and address another comment that came up about the um, injector cleaner aspect, um, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, um, typically the aromatics are what are so stinky, the aromatic hydrocarbons that are in the formula for the max mileage and those are those are the ones that smell like a primordial swamp um what 
what he has to do is really simple, just roll down the car windows and let it sit for 24 hours or so, and everything will evaporate away, and it'll be just, just like new again. So well, that's all easy. All the smells will go away. Yep. That's yeah. really interesting. Uh, that's great news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I t- tried to text that to you, but um, I decided I should just call in instead. Um, and the other thing is, remember, you know, our product is formulated with a, a, a proprietary injector cleaner, and uh, it's it's a low amount, it's a, a low concentration. It's probably in the keep clean functional regime, as opposed to a clean something up that's really dirty concentration. So, you know, people can absolutely supplement the max mileage with their own brand, their own preferred brand of injector cleaner, Lucas or whatever. Um, and, you know, if they think they, if they think that's warranted in their case, but just want uh, to know we do have, yeah. If you've been running the catalyst for several years, then you're not going to have dirty injectors because the catalyst is keeping those cleaner. Correct. Very, in all likelihood. Yes, that is correct. Good. You can you can jump in any time and share your knowledge with us. <laughs> well, I just happened to be working at my desk today, and I've throughout the entire show when I'm uninterrupted. Good to see that so many good calls and testimonials keep coming in. I love it. Yeah, it was kind of like good. the uh, Catalyst Day today. <laughs> That's all I Jane, have. You, uh, all right, Jane, you're on that. You're on the Power Stroke forum, and you see all the people that are having power stroke problems and the people that are using the catalyst that aren't you want to share some of those stories uh yeah well i I know we have a a very uh robust business from pickup truck owners diesel pickup truck owners not not only the you know the fords but also the chevys the nissans and um the dodges that are out there so everybody loves it it's just universally uh, good for those ultra expensive diesel pickup trucks. I mean, if you're going to spend that much money on a diesel pickup truck, you sure want to take care of it. And um, I can't imagine what would be more disheartening than to have to take it into the shop for a clogged DPF or EGR. So to me, it just makes sense. And um, okay. but yeah, I mean, I I have the same customers. Um, one of whom I know personally since 2018. Uh, his wife refers to his Ford 250 as the princess and <laughs> because he babies it so much. And he orders religiously every 10 months. He's out in rural Texas. Uh, so, you know, if his truck goes down, it's not, it, it's, it's not just a couple of hours of inconvenience. It's probably a couple of days of inconvenience. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're just... Right no reason not to use it you know everybody's so busy today and everybody's working hard to exist we don't need to manufacture problems so the goal is to eliminate problems and do whatever it takes to eliminate problems because life's busy just like i'm gonna have to get off the phone because i got to get ready to go to the owner operator snowmobile conference i don't want to be the one that's going to be the last one there so that's right that's exactly right so yeah, All it's right. definitely um, a good idea. But thanks so much. Good to good to talk to you. Thank you for allowing me to come in at the last minute here. Yep. Thanks for jumping in with us. Appreciate it. Let's go to South Carolina. Randy, welcome. 
Hey, boys, y'all talking about slowing down and getting fuel mileage, Bruce was. Yeah. I pulled a, yes. a Joe, Joe Morrow the other day. I left my house in Beckley, West Virginia, going to Louisville, bobtailing, and I set my cruise at 55 miles an hour for 125 miles inside West Virginia. And believe it or not, I got 18 miles a gallon. Out of what? A 24 Freightliner, bobtailing. Did you say it broke up? It broke up there. What did you say? What year Freightliner? A 24. 24. Wow. With the 13 or the 15 liter? Uh, probably a 13. It's a company truck. Oh, okay. I just, I just wanted to see what it would do at 55. I hear people talking about running 55. I never see anybody doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so Me I, thought, I thought I would. I, <laughs> I thought I would try it. And then when I got to the Kentucky State line, I kicked it on up to max 68 mile an hour, which is all we can run. And when I got to Louisville, I was averaging 15 for the whole trip, which is pretty good bobtailing, I guess. Yeah, I think it's great. But that 18 was, that's more my pickup truck gets. Yeah, that's right. But exactly I don't right. drive my Well, so yeah. you're <laughs> right. You're right about slowing down and, and, uh, if you got the time, and, and I had the time, so that's why I did it. Yeah. If you have the time, and you have to have the time, and people on dedicated runs and things like that, I've talked to some people, I don't even know how they make it at 70 mile an hour where they have to go. So, Right. I, well, I think when you get a dedicated run, why can't you negotiate how many hours you have? Well, you would think you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, if I had to drive 1,500 miles and they gave me 23 hours or something like that, I think I'd have to negotiate that. Yeah, I'd have to say, give me 30. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, Bruce. You you slow down. You These people, I asked everybody, what kind of fuel mileage do you think I got? And and everybody say, oh, 10 or 11. And when I tell them 18, they can't believe it. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. a heck, heck of a difference. Because like I say, I was Bob Dillon. But still, yeah. 18 miles a gallon is pretty doggone good. Yeah. And it took yeah. me maybe maybe 15 minutes longer for 125 miles. Yeah, that's miles. the thing. You know, my friend Al Hammerson uh, <clears throat> keeps track of everything, and he's in a new Volvo. And his average speed for all miles is 38 miles per hour. So I went into some of my vehicles to look at my average speed for all miles, and it was... 38 miles an hour. And I said, yeah, how can that be? I never drive like 38 miles an hour. <laughs> That's what but averages it's, it's are. Shocking. <clears throat> but but you slow down and stop like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. We are but, going to move along, and we are going to take this as the last call. John, in Ohio, you get the final word. Yeah, um, I, I want to talk to Bruce. I called him on the phone Friday about fuel mileage on my truck. And first thing, Bruce, did you get that email that head? Well, I'll tell you, I've been busy, so I haven't oh, okay. been keeping up on emails. But let me, I'll open my iPad right now and see. This is my, my week to... Uh, not do a lot of office work because of the conference. Yeah, you said you was going out west, snowmobiling. Yeah, I'm here and I've got to get ready to go. <laughs> All right, so 
Oh boy, there's all kind of emails here. What's what's your email start out with? It's preferred John. <laughs> Did you send it to Bruce M at Pittsburgh Power? Yeah. Preferred John. Don't see it. Okay, well, I could resend it. Uh, but anyway, I did order that boost gauge for my truck, and I've been okay. watching it. I told you I had the electric one in the, in the dash there. Um, right. But so far this week, every every load I haul, every year I run, I'm running 20 pounds of boost all the time. And what engine is this? It's a uh, 2016 ISX. 20-pound boost. Even, even like at 60, at 60 miles an hour on the level, you're 20 pounds. Yep. Like right now I'm running a 58-mile-an-hour in 17th gear, running 1,300 RPMs, and it's right at 20, 20 pounds, flat ground. Yeah, you, can you get into our shop so we can look at that and dyno it and tune it? Or can you get to one of the remote tuners? Yeah, I think you got one in Bell Fountain, Ohio. That's pretty close to where I'm at. Yeah. Or Pickwell, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, get in there and let's let, let uh, Jr. and Leroy look at that. Yeah, because like yesterday, I was grossing 115,000, running 65 mile an hour, is running 1,300 RPMs, uh, 20 pounds of boost. And then I jacked it up to 70 mile an hour. I was running 1,400 and still 20 pounds. No matter how I drive it, it's right at 20 pounds. What do you think of that, Leroy? Mm, well, I mean, I know it's going to it's gonna be hard to get the boost down because of the EGR and things, but we would just have to see what operating mode it's in, what's the requested charge flow. Um, is it because of a malfunctioning sensor? It's because of something else. It's just like you said, we're going to get it in somewhere and look at it. Can't we? Yeah, because I told Bruce. I go ahead. Isn't there an adjustment on that variable geometry turbo? Yeah, I mean you can ask for any sort of amount of airflow that you want. They don't work off of a boost number. They work off of an airflow number, which takes okay. into account of. EGR flow as well, as well as air density, so temperature, outside air pressure, relative humidity. Um, so when you put that all together, you get a charge flow number, and you can adjust that. Some of these new ones, though, it's hard to get them pretty low on boost because of just how tiny the turbos are. I had one on a, the dyno maybe a month or two ago, and I just wanted to see how low I could go. And you'd be surprised. It's it's hard to get it below nine or ten pounds of boost on the on the level during cruising, just because that's just how small the turbine housing is. You can't open it up yeah, anymore. Isn't this an old? What year is this truck? 2016 389 Peterbilt. Yeah. Doesn't the back in 2016 didn't we have a larger turbine housing? I mean, it's larger. Yeah. Um, it's still not <laughs> uh, like N14 large, so. Okay. Yeah, because I've been even right now all week. My gauge just tells my fuel mileage just says I'm only averaging four point two. Yeah, you might have something else going on there. Yeah, I just had her totally rebuilt last year at this time. It's not even quite. I picked it up in April last year. Did a fifty thousand dollar overhaul. 
Oh yeah, that's the one I was talking about earlier. And <laughs> I think I think they did something to the ECM, and you at least get to a remote tuner and let us look at it. Or if you're in Ohio, it would be worth a drive over and to get on the dyno and spend time with Leroy. Okay, I appreciate it. I'll resend that picture of that head too. All okay. right. Thanks for the call. All right. We're going to wrap it up for today. Anybody have anything they want to close with? I'm good. Nope. All right. Me too. Bruce, have a good trip. Thank you. And um, we will see everybody back here again next week for another Power Hour. In the meantime, if you have any questions, give Pittsburgh Power a call. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Don't forget, get signed up for the CMC. Um, Tickets are selling out. We're over half sold out already. So if you have any questions, you can call our Tribe Care team. You can go right to uh, the Mid-America website and register there. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.